podcast this week, we board the bullet train with Aaron Taylor-Johnson and Brian Tyree Henry. Plus, we come unstuck in time with Robert B. Whitey, director of the new Kurt Vonnegut documentary, Kurt Vonnegut, Unstuck in Time, which is why I used the words Kurt Vonnegut and Unstuck in Time mm-hmm. in that bit. I'm not sure it needed so much explanation. Okay, but I'm, I'm, that's what I'm going with anyway. Anyway, all that and the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast, I just cannot wait for the final episode of Neighbours. Very sad occasion, obviously, but what sort of cameos do they have lined up? We know that Kylie and Jason are back. We know that Guy Pierce is back. We know Margot Robbie is back. Can Jim Robinson recover from his fatal heart attack to make one last appearance? Fingers crossed. Will Bouncer appear via portals? We should talk about portals, by we the way. Talk about Who the fuck knows? Very exciting indeed. Anyway, hello pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the Empire Podcast. The final episode of Neighbours is upon us. It's and the even end of though, an era. It's the end of an era. And even though I haven't seen Neighbours in roughly 20 years, I feel very sad. A single tear is running down my cheek. I wonder if single tears are running down the cheeks of my two colleagues of such lethal cunning who are joining me this week. We have, of course, as ever, except for the weeks when she's not here, Geek Queen Helen O'Hara. I had a holiday. Jeez. A holiday. Hello. Is that what they're called? I genuinely don't know what yes, they are. No, what are they? Hol- what holiday. Yeah, I, okay, I really right. recommend you look into it. They're super good. Anyway, I hello, keep everyone. hearing about them, but I'm not sure. I'm not convinced. Do you do any podcasts on these holidays? Do you record or Sometimes edit I any do, podcasts? Actually. Yes. <laughs> not, not these ones. Not this time. Not no. this time. Yes. But you have been known to bring your microphone with you. Yes, I have. Yeah. Half microphone will travel. Uh, uh, anyway, welcome, Helen. And, uh, and welcome for the first time in studio, but for the second time on the Empire Podcast, you will have heard her voice on the interview with uh, Daryl McCormick and, oh, what do you call his co-star in that film? Good luck to you, Leo Grand. Uh, she's Ella Thompson. She, Ella Thompson? Yeah. El, Ellen Thompson? Yeah. Timson? Dame, El- Eleanor, t- sorry. Ellen, Eleanor sorry. Timpson. Eleanor yeah. Timpson. Dame, yeah, she, run, she runs the, um, the key repair <laughs> chain. Um, <laughs> Dame Eleanor Timpson, uh, for good luck to you, Leo Grand. She interviewed them both. Uh, she is, of course... Ella Kemp, welcome. Hello, thanks for Emma having Kemp, me. Emma Kemp. Emma Kemp, Dame interview. Emma Kemp, please welcome. This is me. Welcome, Hello. welcome, welcome. How are you? Very well, thanks for having me. Excellent. Um, and more I, importantly, who are you? How did you get in this studio? I've been asking myself that for as long <laughs> as I've been in here. Um, I've been, been here 10 minutes. I'm so sorry, everyone. I'm here now. Dragging this podcast down. Hey, <laughs> hey. hey, listen, before we get into discussing... Uh, it's it's Ella, right? It is, it is, it is Ella. Ella. Okay, not Dame Ella. No, okay, just Ella. Soon, soon. Soon. We're holding yeah. out. You know, mm. listen, services for podcasting. Mm-hmm. Right, it's going to happen sooner rather than later. And if anyone in this room is going to get a knighthood or a damehood for services to podcasting, it's going to be Helen, isn't it? It's going to be me. Yeah. Which will make which would be a real quandary for you, wouldn't it? <laughs> the, <laughs> queen real... is a, the Queen is a huge fan of, and you're humbug. a huge fan of the Queen uh, as well, and the monarchy sure. and all that that stands for. So that would be a great day out. What a great day out that would be for you and <laughs> like uh, Wallace and Gromit. Yes, and your your entire family, the, the whole O'Hara family, could go along. That'd be a, a, a ton of fun. But hey. Listen, before we talk about about Ella, can we just toot our own horns for just two seconds, please, ladies and gentlemen, because you're not just listening to the Empire podcast, folks. Oh, no. no, You are listening to the award-winning Empire (gasps) podcast because uh, against all the odds, I lost all my savings on betting on all the other podcasts that were up against us. Uh, We won the best live podcast category at last week's prestigious very prestigious very prestigious British Podcast Awards 
Thank you very much. That is the solitary hand. It's not I just a solitary really hand. I tried really hard to be enthusiastic but appropriate um, for podcast levels because that's what you get on an award-winning podcast. Yes. Immaculate levels. We we care about people's ears. That's it. You're welcome. That's it. That's it. Also, so. I didn't feel it was appropriate to, for me to clap. It felt a bit, you know, I was there with you. So I just want to be involved. I just want you to like me. <laughs> oh, thank you. We like you. You can come back. Yeah. This is great. Um, Yes, it was. It was we amazing, won. and it was. It was. I mean, look, credit where it's due. You know, I Thank hate you, to Helen. say this, but <laughs> it was Chris's work. I was about to actually give you credit <laughs> because Chris did a, a, just a, an astonishing job of, of pulling all of the many, many moving pieces together to make the live podcast. Mm-hmm. They said I could day. never pull off Spider Man, but I pulled him off. Uh, they okay, said I could never pull off Johnny Knoxville, mm. but I pulled him off. Yeah, well, I mean, he yeah. probably agree, but I, I don't know that we want to use exactly those words. But yes, it, it, it was a, it was a massive amount of work and an all-day extravaganza event on a scale hitherto undreamt of by you just say by hitherto human. undreamt of yes uh, beautiful episode 500 episode, episode 500, 500. Uh, which you can go and listen to right now and uh, we were blown away we were gobsmacked we were flabbergasted all the all the good stuff we did not expect we to win that award as you will know if you saw any of the speeches on YouTube because the speech is there on YouTube and uh, I wouldn't I would not advise it it's not up there with the best Oscar speeches it's not up there with Tom Hanks and his magic legs or you know Jim Cameron going I'm king of the world or Joe Pesci and his one one line response or, or who was that um there was a I think it was a I want to say sound mixer who um, shouted yeah. out to his wife and said, I love you more than rainbows, baby. Oh, that my God. has stayed with Goodness. me for about 10 years now. I'm going to have to look up who it was, but just a great line. That's a great you line. You can tell he'd been waiting decades to use that line. <laughs> no, no, and, and I, I say that with the utmost admiration, just yeah. having that kind of dedication and knowing one day I'm going to be able to use this and people are going to talk about me. And they did. It's wild, isn't it? When the Deeks won, when Roger Deakins won for the first time, didn't he just start with about fucking time? I think that's what... (laughs) He should have done. He should have done. (laughs) (laughs) Have you seen the films I've made? You... What do you have eyes in your head? It starts with a telling off, being yeah. like, "Oh, you've come to your senses." Yeah, <laughs> yeah he just p- pops the Oscar down and goes, "About fucking time." Yeah. <laughs> and then he just starts settling some scores. Uh, so yeah, just very, very quickly about that, about that, the uh, the uh, the award. Uh, so the award ceremony was was fairly long. We were quite near the end, mm-hmm. and it became rapidly apparent that anyone who won an award last week at the British Podcast Awards would need to make a speech. And we hadn't really prepared anything, and we didn't expect to win. I genuinely did not expect to win. Didn't most I could have hoped for was finishing in the top three. That's yeah. what I was hoping for. And uh, but you know, you begin to think about a speech anyway. You begin to compose things. You begin to put little ideas together in your head. And now we move on to liars. Yeah, and now we move on to twats as well, <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. And I had, you know, I was like, oh, that'd be a funny line if I went up and I thanked Jake Humphrey for inventing the podcast and things like that. And and then. The minute that we did win, because it became apparent that we were going to win when they read out what the judges said about the podcast, and unless there was another podcast that had celebrated its 500th episode, then it was going to be us. Uh, we were like, oh, it just, my mind went blank. Mm-hmm. And You uh, gave a, a fairly coherent speech. Oh, thank you. And uh, then you thrust the mic at me and I went, oh. <laughs> yes, yes. You, you go see James didn't, I, I didn't thrust the microphone at James. In fairness, we would still have been there had he been allowed to speak. Yes. So, and he probably would have somehow crammed the, the pilot TV podcast, which conspicuously uh, was neither nominated nor uh, nor won a podcast award uh, on Saturday. So I don't know. I just have to thank the the, the judges for their impeccable taste. Anyway, uh, enough enough. Oh, Helen's got the name of the uh, the guy, but I just want to say one last quick thing because we're not, we're going to stop tooting our own horn now. But uh, thank you to everyone for all your kind words uh, since we 
made the announcement that we had one on on Saturday on Twitter and on Instagram. And for the people asking, uh, are we going to be true to our word and do an open top bus parade through the streets of London? Yes, we are because we think it's going to be hilarious. Uh, <laughs> so we're going to try and get on one of those tourist buses at some point over the yeah. next week or so. Uh, bring the award with us and then wave it to bemused, baffled tourists. <laughs> going, Why are those people waving a chunk of perspex at us? Yeah. But, uh, we but should yes. be very, as your lawyer, we have to be very careful not to drop the lump of perspex on any unsuspecting passersby. It could be really fatal. What a story, though. It, what a story. What a way to go. No, a terrible way to go. Um, just to be <laughs> clear, this was, it was actually the uh, 2009, the 82nd annual uh, Academy Awards. Uh-huh. Ryan Bingham, who won for writing uh, The Weary Kind from Crazy Heart uh, with T-Born. Oh, best original song. Yeah. Okay. So he thought, and his wife was, his, her name is Anna. And he said, I love you more than rainbows, baby. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, Lovely, man. Well done to him. Maybe one day we'll, one of the questions will be, what's the best Oscar acceptance speech? Nailed it. Ryan this Bingham. Uh, Ella, if you were to win an award... Uh, you may have won an award. I don't know. Have you won an award? Um, I, I don't haven't. want to put you on the spot, but no, you must have. No, I haven't. I'm school, afraid that sports I'm aware. day, anything. Um, I think I might have won an award for being in choir, like for best singer or something. But Ooh. I don't know. But I don't think I ever had a solo, and I like notoriously can't sing. So I think I remember being a little bit confused at the Why time. Why were you in a choir? Then, why was I in a choir? If you can't sing. I just wanted to be involved. <laughs> if, you're, if you're in a choir, I mean, a choir is a great place to be if you can't to sing because other up. people yeah. cover it up. Well, this yeah. is it. I, I quite enjoyed it, you know, and I think we sang Eleanor Rigby. It was, oh. I, I don't know why it was something of a Beatle themed choir. I don't know how Nothing this happened. Nothing wrong with that. But, you know, had a lovely time. And then um, I can't remember exactly what the award was, but it was something to do with music or singing or choir. And, you know, I thought it was a mistake, but I was also six years old and I liked having one in a six award. years old? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll give any six okay. I don't think I've awards. spoken about it since then. So if anyone's... Is this uh... traumatic for you or is this a good memory? <laughs> well, I'm just nervous that you're going to get an angry letter writing in just calling me out saying like that I took home someone else's award and that mm-hmm. someone's been mm-hmm. waiting all these years to all tell me. All these years. All these years. Um, wow. I'm really sorry for to whoever's listening. And um, if you went to Barry's court, no, you didn't. And you didn't see me there. Wow. <laughs> Ella has just oh, gaslit, gaslit a whole Guys, bunch of people. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. No, it's all good. <laughs> really it, is, well. it is all good. Diplomatic uh, incident already. It's going well. Yeah, oh, I like dear. it. Did you, sing, did you sing in this Beatles medley? Did you do uh, Ringo's song that he wrote for the White Album called Don't Pass Me By, which has the worst lyrics of any Beatles song, but it also has the best couplet of any Beatles song which is <clears throat> I'm sorry that I doubted you I was so unfair you were in a car crash and you lost your hair oh genuine genuine line that Richard Starkey penned himself you were in a car crash and you lost your hair doesn't explain it was it a doesn't explain it was it a wig I, the, the, I hate this that's that's that's. I think the thinking about the origins of that story is even more stressful than thinking about the origins of my choir. Story. It's too much. It's it's about. So it's Ringo is waiting for his loved one to turn up, and she hasn't turned up, and he's like, "Oh, what's going on? Are you leaving me? Don't do you not love me anymore?" And then in, in the second verse, it's like, wow. "Oh, phew! Maybe thank much? God, you were just in a car crash. Uh, it's all and right." So hang on. So so did his lover lose their hair in the car crash, Apparently, or was that a separate thing? Like lost their hair and then they were really upset about it. We never get to the bottom of it. Did they have a business selling hair? We never get to the bottom of it. Did they just have a really bad hairdresser? Who knows? Who knows? I I must have liked this. Was it Lex Luthor? You know? Oh, yeah. Okay, Mr. Luthor. Could have been. It's just. 
It's just not very fair. So no, no, we didn't sing that one in choir. Mm, okay. um, I don't think I would have won any awards if I did that because I would have just been a bit too confused to sing it. <laughs> yeah, probably. You know, whereas Eleanor Rigby, I was like, yeah, this makes sense. Well, Eleanor Rigby is a really, really dark song about an old woman who dies yeah, again, after I was living six. a very lonely life. And I think I was like, la, 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 picking up rice in the church. There's been a wedding. I don't Eleanor know. That's a, that's a beautiful voice. I think yeah, <laughs> okay. I, I can see why it, it gave you the This award. is why I went Stunning on choir to podcasts. Yeah. 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 It's okay. a very clear trajectory. So it's like number one version Aretha, number two <laughs> Ella, number three The Beatles. Yeah. That's what we're... Ella yeah. Fitzgerald or Kemp? Uh, in fact, Joint. I was named Joint. after Ella Fitzgerald. That's really? not a lie. Yeah. There you go. Okay, so we're learning more about you and this is good and we will get into the listener question in two seconds. Uh, <laughs> Eventually, uh, yeah. Please indulge us. I mean, we somehow won an award for this nonsense, so <laughs> I don't know. Every now and again, we'll accidentally do something right. Uh, but Ella, tell us uh, a bit about yourself. You have 27 seconds. I am a journalist, editor, film critic type person. Um, mm-hmm. I also am It's a called typist, by the way. A typist. Yeah, sorry, sorry, my mistake. I clearly don't know how to read or write, uh, but I do <laughs> podcasts sometimes. I have the pleasure of reviewing films for Empire. Uh, But apart from that, uh, I write about music, I write about TV, I write for NME, I write for Letterboxd, uh, I work for Girls on Tops, taking photos and publishing essays and Which features is and all good things. t-shirt people. It is. I am currently sitting here wearing a white t-shirt with uh, the name Nora Ephron written in black letters across it, which is, <laughs> I did not do this deliberately in self-promo. I just wear a lot of these t-shirts. They're good t-shirts. Um, they but are yeah, good t-shirts. the company yeah. supporting uh, women in film and um, we have a very nice time. There you go. I don't have a t-shirt with Nora Ephron written on it, what? but I have Nora Ephron tattooed in my heart. So wow, that must have been like open heart. It was very painful. You okay? Very, very painful. It took twenty-seven hours. Yeah, Uh, wow. Yeah, worth it. (laughs) You say that. (laughs) Every now and again, I do go into some sort of cardiac shock, but it's totally fine. Uh, Hopefully, (laughs) it won't happen in this podcast. Anyway. Uh, now we have met Ella, who interviewed Dame Emma Thompson and Daryl McCormack uh, for us. And that was you, that was good. You enjoyed that. It was amazing. Experience. I must say, I have kept the audio where Dame Emma Thompson says on mic, "Hello, Ella," <laughs> in that exact tone of voice. <laughs> amazing. And I think about it really often. Uh, no, it was wonderful. She was I mean, great. she was great. Daryl was great. They yeah. seem to both adore each other, which is always uh, a real pleasure to witness. Yeah. It was fun. I was there producing it, which basically means I press record and everything again, now and again, turn down someone's mic. <laughs> and, uh, it's a very easy job. And uh, this is not, of course, to imply that editing or pr- producing a podcast for very other difficult. people is a very easy very, job. Yeah. It's, it's not. It's a very difficult job. Mm. But that day was a very easy job. Yeah. A difficult uh, job that diver- deserves awards. Yes, Definitely. and absolutely. And all right, I shall stop digging and move <laughs> on to this week's listener question. From at Felicity Kate, long-time listener to the podcast. Hello, Felicity. Uh, and she says, what's your favourite movie scene in a tree? My granddad basically had a degree in trees. A tree? A tree? Oh, well. And I've been thinking about him tonight. Oh, Okay, nice. lovely. Uh, so there we go. Your favourite movie scene set in a tree, in a tree, not around a tree, not under a tree, in a tree. Yeah. I said before we we came on air that I think I have the definitive answer to this. Oh, does that mean we should go first or say you Oh, no, definitely first because you're not going to agree. So absolutely (laughs) first. Okay. George of the Jungle. Dum, 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 dum. dum, dum, Almost everything is in or face onto a tree. 
uh, in that film. Uh, and and the tree scenes are delightful. His little tree house with his little... But hang on, hang uh, on, hang on. Tree the question was, I believe, Felicity, please correct me if I'm wrong. The question was, what is your one favourite scene in a tree? Yeah. Have you just chosen your favourite film? Mostly set, set mo- in trees. Tree. Yeah, because every scene in that film is equally Pick great. Pick one! No, yeah. no, I refuse. That's right, Ella. Hold her feet to the Definitely flames. Definitely wrong. Because I'm, so, yeah. I'm afraid you have absolutely balled that question up, no. Helen. I'm sorry. Uh, Ella, what have you got? Okay, I'll go with the live action one. And if you're not happy with that, I've got a number of... Okay. Uh, I just feel like an animated answer is a bit too easy because I've got a few that could fit the bill mm-hmm. within a similar genre and similar type things. My live action answer is the tree scene in Twilight. <laughs> that's like that's the definitive answer when Bella and Edward are flying through the trees and um, it's, it's 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 to be honest it's pretty early on in the first film yeah um okay. you know for for a film in which a human young woman teenage girl discovers that the guy that she really fancies is in fact a vampire and you know has to learn to trust him and everything I really think that a scene in which again she knows very little about him except for like he's got really good bone structure he basically says to her trust me and like hold on and then they just fly around loads of trees to like some really nice piano music and it's very moving but I, I can't remember exactly when it happens but it's not more than like 40 minutes into the film that's about right yeah. I'm just like this is quite like, is she okay it's it's a very bad idea. Like kids, don't go. He's like, trust me, and I'm like, with, no, don't with trust sparkly him. Sparkly dudes. Yeah. It's also not like my favorite scene visually in that movie. No. So. But hey, it's my favorite scene in a tree. Okay. Uh, oh, I've, okay. I've got several more. Okay, oh, because what? I'm going to say neither of these are definitive. No, but Sorry. now now I Beg have a definitive pardon. one. Now I have a definitive one. Pan's labyrinth. When she crawls inside the tree. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> come on, the tree plays a major role this in that is, movie. Yeah, sure. yeah, She's inside a tree. That's it. Okay. It counts. Is the pale man sequence, is that inside, inside the tree? The yeah, tree. It's well, inside the tree. Well, that might be the winner. That is it? But I, I have other ones. I've I have got other ones more. too. But I have more. All right, okay. I've got some as well, but who wants to hear from me? Yes, please, Ella. Well, then we can go through all of the freaky Disney animals. Mm-hmm. You know, the Cheshire Cat when he's in a tree, mm-hmm. he's telling tree. Alice where to go and he's just, and he's 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 sitting on that tree branch. And what I think is particularly notable about that is the way that he sat on that tree. He looks like a little pink loaf of bread. <laughs> and and, and you, you wouldn't get that being sat on a chair. I think it is the way that he has to balance himself very specifically on a tree branch, which makes it so interesting. And also when you see, you know, this looks like quite a well-fed cat. He's mm-hmm. not, you know, he's, he's not, not bony. Scrawny. He's not no. skinny. I don't think it's a very big branch, so it's quite an interesting tree scene in terms of, you know, the, the terms physics. of physics. Yeah, like I don't <laughs> actually know how it works, and yet it does. So I think for that reason, but it he, is a very impressive tree scene. He's also not very corporeal, though, so mm. you know maybe that helps with the the weight. But thing. I mean, his eyes and his neck—they do kind of bulge and move quite a lot. It's quite there. There is. It's a very. It is a very animated performance okay. in that film. That's good. There is a Totoro scene in oh. a tree mm-hmm. when they go inside and meet Totoro. So that's that's a pretty strong contender, I would argue. Mm-hmm. Okay. Also, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Oh, yeah. treetop fight. Treetop fight. Treetop that's fight. It's everything that Twi- Twilight kind of wanted to be. In- no, no, okay. Hey, no, no, no. Come gonna, on. I, no, no, no. I'm going to stop you right there because... No. Twilight wanted to be the best love story of our generation. Now, as someone who was a teenager when this came out, I can say, correct. 
Twilight wanted to have physics that worked for jumping around trees. Yeah, but it wanted to teach teenagers about love. Did it, though? Yes. I don't think it did. With the greatest respect, I've read the books, met the author, even. You've met the author? I did, actually, yeah, on set of a different film. Um, What was that like? Twilight. Twilight, Stephanie Mayer. She was very nice. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, uh, that film that she did. Yeah, Austin Land. She produced. That was not the one I was thinking of. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. All right. Okay. So it's us. So we have to trawl through our memory of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, of course. Are there any great MCU scenes set in trees? Helen. A Groot doesn't count, by the way. I mean, come on. Well, then I thought that was going to be my question. I was actually putting my Seems hand up to ask. with a tree. Do ends yeah. count? When Merry and Pippin are sitting on Fangorn's shoulders and tricking him to go off and see the destruction that Saruman has wrought, that's a great scene. But is he a tree, technically? Ents do count as trees because okay. literally it's called Treebeard. Yeah, he's great. Well, yeah, but like if you were called Bluebeard, it wouldn't make you a blue. Look, never mind. My point is that... Uh, I blew myself. Uh, so many poorly chosen words in this so podcast. So many poorly, cho- poorly uh, chosen words. All right. Well, listen, I think yeah. that you've come close to the definitive answer here oh. with your crowd. I'm sorry, Ella, but come on. Oh. Maybe next time you're back in the podcast, you'll come with better answers, but th- th- that's fine. Uh, so you've got the Crouching Tiger thing. That's good. That's good. But is it as good as... <clears throat> little list I've just compiled. Return of the Jedi. But now the whole Ewok village is in a is fucking true. treetop. It's in a tree. So that whole mm. stuff with you know them trying mm. to burn Han alive and trying to roast Han, they're trying to spit roast Han Solo, which is a bit much for a use certificate film. But you know, but you know, at least they don't they don't quite succeed. Oh my! And uh, what else do we have happening in there? We got the levitation scene. We got C three PO doing a recap oh. of the of the Star Wars saga or the Skywalker saga or some of it anyway. Uh, that's all very very exciting. I'm going to say that. Predator, which it's okay. on all our minds at yeah. the moment, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. of uh, Prey, which is coming out very, very soon. And uh, I believe we can tell you it's very good. Uh, if we can't, just ignore that bit. And uh, we can't, we can't tell you it's very good. So we just ignore that bit. Uh, we also have, so that lots of that takes place in trees. He's always in trees, isn't he, the Predator? He's always titting around in the tree somewhere. Uh, so that one, he's, he's like, um, oh, the scene where he kills Billy is on a tree. So there you go. I'll go for that one. Uh, Harry Potter, Harry Potter, Harry Potter the and the Chamber Willow. of Secrets, the Whomping Willow. That's fair. They get, yeah. they get caught in the Whomping Willow. That's that's good. So I'm going to go for that it's one. Okay. Uh, okay. There's uh, now is the the Evil Dead, Evil Dead Two, is the baddie at the end. The tree? Well, here I'm going to hear is the technicality. At the end, the baddie is clearly some kind of massive tree demon. So I'm going to say yes. Uh, which then grabs Bruce Campbell in its great big wooden paw. So I'm going to say mm-hmm. that one as well. Uh, Jurassic Park, Jurassic Park, uh, which has a scene in a tree. That's the definitive answer. And then it has, you know, the, the you know, it's a lovely bonding scene mm-hmm. between Alan Grant and insert name of character here. Uh, what are there? It's Tim and... Tim and Lexi. Lexi, thank you. Tim and Lexi. So he has a lovely bonding scene with them and they have the, the brontosaurus and, you know, and then, but there's also the scene before that with the, the, the cheap crashing down on top of them and they have to, to get away from it. Uh, and the last one I'm going to suggest is the fake film from the Coen brothers, Burn After Reading, Coming Up Daisy, in which Daisy, the lead character, is constantly in a tree and Dermot Mulroney is always like, hey, 
will you get down from there? And everyone laughs. I have one more. Oh, okay. It is, oh, I already hate myself for saying this, but I have to say it. because. Oh, no. Well, because I think Ben Travis will thank me. He'll be very pleased that I've said this scene. Oh, God. Um, it, you know, everyone's favorite scene in Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, <laughs> when um, Lily James as Donna is, you know, she's trying to figure out what to do with one of the three men in her life as a young woman, and she's singing the name of the game as she walks through these orange trees while her lover is asleep in bed. And she's picking things from trees and twirling and dancing. Does she need to be in those trees? Maybe not, but she is. And it's a lovely scene and it's a very good song. And it's the emotional climax of the film because it all unravels from there. So that is a good scene in some trees. Oh, come on. It doesn't unravel from there. Then Cher turns up. No, sorry. No, Cher turns up after everything has unraveled, re-raveled, exploded, had a firework and everyone's having a party. Yes, because it's only a party when Cher turns Exactly. Up. But <laughs> you had to have the unravelling in the trees to then earn the right to party with Cher at the end. Oh, Without the okay. unravelling in the trees, there would be no Cher. So just, just to clarify on this, because I'm not entirely sure. So uh, pretend for a second I haven't seen that film. Just for a second. Wow. Uh, or if I have seen the film, I've forgotten everything about it. So is she walking through a wood? Or is she actually in the trees? Think carefully in this, Ella, because it is the crux of the question. It's okay. like it's in like an olive grove or something, isn't it? Or an orange I'm grove. Afraid. It's a number of trees no. near her house. But she's interacting with the trees. I don't she's care. picking she can, things. She's she can, I don't know, she might have climbed at one point. It's a long chop song. Down the trees and and I I'll care. tell you what as well, because there are some points in the song where it cuts to one of her lovers in bed. How do you know she didn't climb in the tree during that cut? The climb song him kept like playing. a tree. Is that what you're talking about? Because I don't which, think that counts. Which lover is it? Is it, is, it, is it Young Pierce? It's Young Pierce. Hey, well, look, keeping the British end up. Although technically he's Irish. Technically, not, not even technically he is Irish. <laughs> but you know, but Jeremy American Irvine, man. who yeah. plays him in his youth, is British. There you go. Got wood. If you want to have your question read out in the Emperor podcast <laughs> and treat it with the respect it deserves as Felicity Kate found to her cost, then you can get in touch with us on Twitter. I'm at Chris Hewitt. You can slide into my DMs if you so desire or you can just reply to any of my tweets once you've stopped laughing, of course, or you can wait for a panicked shout out every now and again. All right, time for the first of this week's two guests. So we've got Bob Whitey, director of the Kurt Vonnegut documentary. Uh, or you have Aaron Taylor Johnson and Brian Tyree Henry. You pick. Who do you want? I would like Aaron Taylor Johnson and Brian Tyree Henry. All please. right. In that case, you're going to get Aaron Taylor Johnson and Brian Tyree Henry, who are two of the stars of the cracking ensemble. Ensemble? Ensemble? <laughs> two years in Duolingo. I'm still pronouncing ensemble like that. Ensemble. Uh, this, the cracking ensemble that makes up uh, David Leach's Bullet Train, which is out next Wednesday, August 3rd. We'll be reviewing that on next week's show. And it stars Brad Pitt as a an assassin-type guy called Ladybug who boards a bullet train, a Shinkansen, in Japan. Uh, and he has a mission. And little does he know that the train is filled with other assassins, all of whom have their own missions and they intersect in bloody and hilarious ways and Aaron Taylor Johnson and Brian Tyree Henry play Tangerine and Lemon who are two hitmen who have very interesting 
Cockerney vernacular and a very, very interesting shared history as well. And for me, they are tremendous fun together and in many, many ways, the heart of the movie. So I was delighted to speak to them when they came into London last week. And uh, we had a good old natter about that, about how they found that shared bond and about the the fact that they both have Spider-Man movies and MCU movies on their CVs. Uh, of course, Aaron Taylor Johnson is Craven the Hunter in Craven the Hunter coming up next year. And Brand Harry Henry is going to be heard again in Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Very, very excited about that. And I had a great time talking to these two guys too, please. Enjoy. Hey folks, it's Chris here. Just jumping in real quick before the Aaron Taylor Johnson and Brian Tyree Henry interview to let you know that I've listened back to it since. And there are some mild, mild, mild spoilers for Bullet Train contained within. So if you want to go in completely cold, knowing nothing about Tangerine and nothing about Lemon, then perhaps give this interview a swerve until after you've seen the film. There's nothing in there that make you go, oh, I can't believe Empire gave that away and then tear your hair out in frustration and put a curse on us for the rest of our days. But still, forewarned is forearmed and all that. For the rest of you, those brave and hardy souls who can stand some mild spoilers, then plow on through. There's loads of fun just round the corner. Enjoy. We are delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast. There is a microphone right there. Uh, by the stars of Bullet Train, Aaron Taylor Johnson, Brian Tyree Henry. How the devil are you both? Oh, we're good, great, man. man. Thank you. Yeah. Good, good. Yeah. We were just talking about the temperature in this room, which is which is all right. But, but I mean, after the heat layers. wave, yeah, we yeah. want to have it freezing cold in here, man. Yeah. yeah. I think you got it's the neon blue lights that make you feel like you're in a freezer. Don't you know I mean? That's what I wanted. I was specific. I specifically asked that we feel yeah. like we're in a freezer. Yeah. <laughs> I want it sub-zero. Yeah. I here. want to feel like I'm yeah. in a morgue. <laughs> yeah, we've been doing a press tour on a heat wave for sure. This is the nicest bit of it. Yeah, yeah. this is yeah. good. Room. This is usually the part where you go, can you please not put me in a room, a windowless room, but now you want a yes. windowless yeah. room that's air conditioned. Block it out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> as much as possible. Our souls are getting darker and darker. <laughs> that's what we want. Does this, in a weird way, remind you of filming the movie? Because I imagine it was fairly claustrophobic on those sets. You for... know, man, not really. No, because I, I, I got to say, I find it really uncomfortable doing press stuff. I, I'm, I'm much happier being behind a character, that's for sure. Really? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, like, we had a very strange series of events to make this movie because we started this movie in October of 2020, which was peak bleak of COVID, <laughs> right? Like, that was when well, that was when we really didn't know what was yeah. going on. Uh, and we have been living in our isolation and our bubbles for a little bit in our lockdown. And then we had to leave our bubbles and go to this lot, Sony lot, where they had made the, uh, these sound stages for us to do bullet train. And so, you know, on sound stages, you don't see the sun really, it's very dark, but then you go on and you have these train cars that are built. You have like a sleep car, a first class car, you have mm -hmm. like a quiet car and like, and we're just signing up to kick each other's asses every day. You yeah. know what I mean? Like it was and therapy. Right? It was really therapeutic. <laughs> I mean, it was a release. We were all in this place of like, what the fuck is going on in the world? You know what I mean? So why not show up and kick the shit out of Brad Pitt for a yeah. few hours? And uh, he was game. He yeah. was really game. Was right? That was sport. all improv. It wasn't even in the script. No, it wasn't. Just, no, no, no. He loves to improv fights. Um, <laughs> but it was, it was, it was really therapeutic. And to do it with the ensemble that we did it with, I mean, every single person in this film brought some something that was incredibly beautiful and incredibly bright. And it never felt like work, man. It never felt like yeah, work, even though we knew what was going on outside was pretty awful. We signed on to come and have 
fun as we possibly yeah, could. Yeah, felt so. incredibly fortunate. It was a true blessing, right? It was like the everything we needed, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and and you guys, I mean, you know, uh, lemon and tangerine, or do you think tangerine and lemon? How do you have, what's the what's the what's the the, the phrase? How, how does it go for it? I say lemon and tangerine, but do you have a preferred order at all for that? Not really. I mean, you can you can put your fruits however you want. <laughs> you can arrange, you can arrange it however you like, man. Make they it a bush bush you know, fruit. They they will go together. So yeah, you know, yeah. That's just it. like a big old bowl of yeah, just fruit. a yeah. bowl of citrus. That's yeah, us. Man. That's <laughs> I'm I'm happy with that absolutely. But but you guys are in many ways, and this surprised me when I when I saw the film. Um, you're the heart of the film in many Thank ways. You. This well, is so a this is a beautiful relationship between the two of you and. Yeah. In COVID times, in peak bleak, as yeah, you were saying, yeah. Brian, yeah. when you're in bubbles, how hard is it to get that chemistry going as actors when you can't well, do no, things was, you normally would be able to do? That was everything. I mean, I think uh, Brian was my lifeline, you know, he was my savior Same. on this, you know, like we, like you said, we, we haven't been out of our houses for about a year and a half and then to make, you know, it wasn't even making new friends. So, but, um, I, you know, I signed on and, and, and we hadn't quite found our lemon yet and, and I didn't know who the character I didn't know who Tangerine was without my other half without lemon without the actor who was going to step into that role and when I found out it was Brian I was so thrilled and excited because I was a huge admirer of his work and all the, I've always you know his characters that he's played previously so I was like oh, he's a talented actor that's brilliant and then when I met him we just and it was instantaneous we just clicked yeah. and it was just like oh this is this guy I love this guy and I'm going to care for him and then there was so much trust yeah. that we would just became instant friends and then and um, and with that, just ignited this um, this this thing that we did, where we just elevated the characters off the page, and, and then we started bantering and you know improving a lot of stuff, and yeah. and it really evolved and grew day by day. And then you know, and kudos to uh, David Leach who gave us the space yeah. to be able to explore uh, and experiment within those boundaries. You know, he really pushed us to do that, and and and. Uh, it all ended up in the movie, you know, and it worked. It really it played. So yeah, yeah, the true testament of the character of a person that you're working with is what happens when they say cut. You know, like what goes on in between those takes. And I think that that was what was really remarkable and magical about working with Aaron is that, like, you know, we never left each other's side. Like mm -hmm. most, you know, most times on some films when it's cut, everyone goes their different places and center. But I, I didn't know my center without him. You know, I didn't know. It, the hardest parts for me were the days that we weren't in together. Season, yeah, I was, together. Say, I was, I was just like, oh sure. man, like, okay, we split up. That's the dumbest idea. <laughs> like, why are we splitting up? Yeah. Uh, but that says a lot about yeah. him. I, I have admired Aaron for quite some time as well. But like, honestly, like once we met each other, it was game on. Like, I, I wanted to do everything I could to protect him on screen in real life. And I think that that's what we wanted audiences yeah. to feel. We didn't want... We wanted them to, to feel the levity and the humor of what Lemon and Tangerine are, but we really wanted people to believe that they were brothers, that there yeah, was this yeah. connection between them. And we wanted them to root for us. We wanted people to be like, oh, will they yeah. get back together? Will they be there? You know, yes, sure. and um, that's kind of just from the care of what we have as Aaron and Brian for each other. So it's nice to hear that people feel like yeah, they're part of the yeah. film. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially all that stuff about improv and making it the movie, yeah. especially, Brian, when you're doing an accent yeah. as well, an accent nice. that is tricky yeah. at the best of times for Brits. I mean, yeah. how, did you find it, how, how did you find it as, you know, as an American? You know, man, it was it was on the page, uh, actually, that this character was uh, English and I wanted to make sure that I stayed true to it. But also, like, it 
I had never felt more comfortable doing that because like accents are tricky, you know what I mean? And accents are, especially as a black American are tricky because there's only a few that we're allowed to do. And what I wanted to do is, is actually bring some characterization to him and make people love him and make people understand that this is where he's from. That's how it moves. Cause like, think about it. Here I am on this bullet train in Japan. I already stick out like a sore thumb already. <laughs> I, I decide to give myself blonde hair. That makes me stick out already. And then I'm also like, you know, English. So I just really wanted to make sure that it was as authentic as possible. And I'm working with Aaron. It was just so easy. I just never felt like I was doing any kind of criti criticizing of myself. Like, ah, is this wrong? Is this wrong? It just felt like it just felt like home to yeah. me. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I wanted to keep it true to what it was. Yeah, because, you know, honestly, it could be really tricky when you do a Dick Van oh, Dyke or something like that. Yeah, you see what I mean? But you could, like, it could have been that bad. It yeah, could I know, been that bad. and I've seen them be that bad. But <laughs> I, 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 don't, I didn't want it to be that way. Yeah. I, wanted, I wanted Lemon to be somebody that the, the audience rooted for, and I wanted him to be just the, the other half of, of Tangerine. I wanted him to feel real. Mm. And, and Aaron, I mean, you know, I've... I think I first met you in Kickass, and you were you were doing an accent back then. I mean, yeah. and, and since then you've been chameleonic is the word I'm going to use. Oh, yeah. Are, do you. accents come that. naturally to you? Um, I, listen, I think everything needs to be rehearsed and worked on, and you know that's that, there, there's a there's a period of time before shooting, and it might you know might be lucky you get three months, or you might be you know, you might only have one week, but that time is precious time, and it's my my prep time, and it. You know, I'm not gonna say accents come easy. I enjoy doing accents, and I, again, like Brian, I think it's always that acting. It's not necessarily like it's an acting challenge, but it's sometimes when it suits and fits for the character, it's really important. It's just another aspect of that character. So for me, it's just um, it's just another skin. You know, it's like um, it's like the way. That, how does this character walk? How does this character sound? How right. does this, what does character wear? What's this character's hobbies? Or it's like, what are their bad habits? What are their, you know? And it starts to build like that. So they're just layers for me, you know. And and um, and uh, yeah, it was interesting because obviously Kickass that was sort of an introduction to the uh, the American you know market or world, right? And uh, and I, I you know I was playing. Like a character from from at the time, Superbad was out, right? And I thought, you know, Michael Sarah and Jonah Hill, and they, those those were uh, they were really, you know, sort of the the highlight and inspiration for for a character like Kickass. Um, and uh, so that was kind of my introduction. So people kind of just assume that's what you are. But then for me to be able to try and do something else, started to build a bit of a. Uh, uh, a CV of some, you know, hopefully there's some versatility in there. And that's yes. why I enjoy, you know, is to be chopping and changing and, and, and really using the craft and having fun with it, you know. And that's uh, what we want, you know. We want to continue to, like, show how, showcase why we do what we do and right. why we're good at what we do. Yeah. We want to continue to find the play of it, you know. We don't ever want to be stagnant and be told yeah. that we have to be in this box and yeah. do the Because that was the same thing with these characters. It yeah. could have been easy for people mm -hmm. to sign on and watch Limited Tangerine and dismiss yeah. them and, like, be like, oh, okay, well, they'll shoot them up doing that, blah, 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 blah. but like, no, we were like, we want to build something. I think that that's a testimony yeah. to how we work, yeah. uh, and especially how he works, because I think that he is truly, truly master. Well, Brian has the same does. too, like his versatility and the roles he played. That's when I discovered, because you you know, as actors, we notice 
when this there's an actor who pops in one thing and then pops in another and you go hang on how they even <laughs> relate like they're so far different yeah. and then there's something else and you go that person just slowly becomes on your radar as someone that you just really look forward to and enjoy watching and uh brian had that with me like every time i saw brian in, in anything i was just like that guy's talent and then the you know i'm loving this the love in the, the manifestation yeah, though of when true, things right? come yeah. together is was what's beautiful you know yeah that's you lovely. can all work Eight. together yeah. Fate, baby. Yeah, Fate. yeah. Big old theme of the film. Yeah, right that's a big theme. Big yeah. theme. Yeah, I'd love to get into it and talk spoilers with you guys, but I can't. Yeah, no spoilers, <laughs> right. man. No spoilers in this one. Just um, a quick podcast. Isn't it? Yeah. Just a quick one. <laughs> just very quick. It's not a long drive, just, is it? Just a four-hour podcast. Jeez, that's Louise. <laughs> that's Every other podcast goes on for like an hour and, and fifteen. Um, they just keep going. Uh, this, is just, this is just a small part. But oh, right. I'll talk for like four hours either side of four it. So hours. yeah, yeah it's, right. it's all good. I'll take care of that. There's a lot of adverts in between. (laughs) Commercial breaks. Yeah. You guys want to promote Squarespace? Everyone's promoting Squarespace. Squarespace, (laughs) where you can find your background as quickly as possible. Uh, Aaron, there's a moment in this movie uh, where where Tangerine does a spot on Ringo Starr. Oh, yeah, he does. I don't know if it's spot on. It's It's pretty spot on. I don't think it's supposed to be spot on. on. It's just supposed to be, uh, you know. A moment. It's, <laughs> a funny it's, moment. A funny moment. it's pretty damn good. Yeah. So does that now officially mean you've got two Beatles under your belt? Yeah. Um Yeah, it's funny that that's yeah, now now I've got to get the Fab Macker, haven't I? Gotta get Paul in. <laughs> you gotta get Paul yeah. in somewhere. Gotta get some wacky Michael thumbs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, you do that. Just gotta get the thumbs in. Um <laughs> uh, it was funny, yeah. No, I think that was a nice little little add in time. Listen, these things that you do on set. Yeah. Um, are the amount of takes that Brian and I had done and <laughs> <laughs> just playing these characters like it was an endless bucket of fun yeah. for these characters because they're just unpredictable and the things that come out of their mouths are just unfiltered just mm-hmm. unapologetic mm-hmm. trash yeah, <laughs> like, just pure idiots like, so, who, like your brain has to move as fast as the train and yeah. sometimes you're just like bah. Yeah, that's what we liked about it because you've got this high speed yeah. Yeah, everything had to have like <laughs> this mad quick. pace so, yeah. so you, there's this energy right and uh, anyway so you never really know what makes the edit and um, and uh, like like we you know David kept a lot of stuff in but um, yeah. that's something that stayed in that's just funny you know? no it made me laugh a lot and uh, in, in the great Fan diagram of your careers. Obviously, there's a, there's an overlap in terms of you're both part of the MCU. Aaron, you were very much a one and done yeah. uh, as Quicksilver. Very of much course. was a one and done. Wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> no, I may be a one and done. Who knows? Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? We shall see what happens. We'll but see. but you've also got you know you've got the Spider Verse connection as well going on. You've you've got mm. across the Spider Verse yeah. coming. You've just been craving the hunting, Aaron. Mm. I've been yeah. Can't been say anything hunting. about that. I'm sure, yeah. but yeah. No, no, but it was fantastic. Though. Yeah. That's it. Stop, stop. You're right, you're right. This is where I get in trouble. What I I do in these situations is I get you to talk about each other's projects. So, so Brian, can you tell us about Craven the Hunter? And Aaron, can you tell us about the next Spider-Verse movie? Yeah, I couldn't tell you anything. I can (laughs) tell you that one is going to be amazing. I can tell you that there's going to be a lot of great uh, hair in the wind. I think that there's going to be some good peck action. Uh, I know that he is going to bring a lot of uh, machismo and charisma to it. Is this true? Uh, I think there's There's a lot of of fire in it. I think that there's going to be some slow motion walks in it as well. Uh, Well, shit, that'll make it a completely predictable movie. (laughs) 
Fair. Jesus Christ. That's it. I'm but done. Basically, I'm you done. just went, this is what the studio exists. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying this, what this, I want to see. I'm like, I want to see him do that. That's what I'm doing. Sure. He's blushing. I'm I'm right. Okay, yeah. Good. Sold. Two right. tickets, please. See, Two tickets, who's yeah. Who's not going to go watch it? Yeah, and uh, Spider-Verse 2. Across the Spider-Verse. What can we expect? Look at me. Just look me in my eyes and say, just say what comes to your mind. No, I feel Say what like... comes to your mind. <laughs> Come on. Spider-Verse 2. I play Spider-Man's dad. What do you think I'm going to do? I'm going to love him. I'm going to protect him. Right? There's going to be a mustache. Oh! <laughs> that ain't even a mustache, true. There's a mustache. You're and, a mustache. And a good soundtrack, right? It's gonna be a lot. It's gonna be some tears. I reckon there's yeah, a little. Oh. I think there's a teary moment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh shit! Yeah, it's gonna get sick. See, see, go. I get yeah. all the scoops. Look at I'm that. like the one man, more Bernstein. This yeah. is incredible. You are the top. You yeah. raise the bar, man. Listen, I sit here by doing nothing. I listed all the good stuff. There you go. Amazing, <laughs> Brian, Aaron. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, of course, guys. man. Thank, Thank you. you. Cheers. All right, have a good one. Time now to delve deep into this week's movie news, and there is quite a lot of it. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of fallout from Comic-Con, big announcements from Marvel. We obviously did a um, one-hour reaction special to that because so many of you asked us to, uh, so we found some time on Sunday to record that and edit that, uh, in which we go through the all the news from the Marvel panel at the San Diego Comic-Con last week. The, the big news that really came from that, though, was the announcement of two Avengers movies, uh, as confidently predicted on the Empire podcast. Uh, in 2025, two movies six months apart. One is going to be called Avengers, the Kang Dynasty, which or Dynasty. How do you pronounce it over here? I because of di- dynasty, because I've always said dynasty, but then instinctively, I, I guess, when you said dynasty, my head said that was correct, and then the second you said dynasty, I that was better. Everything. Because when we grew up watching dynasty in this country, we preferred dynasty. Rina Sawayama was, was has a song dynasty? called I'm Dynasty, sure. I think, and she sings that. I trust her. Right. Who will, and she will be in the next John Wick film, so I trust her. Oh, well, we'll get to that. We'll get to that in a second. All right. So Dynasty, uh, that's going to be out first. That's going to be out in May 2025, and that's going to be followed in November by Avengers Secret Wars, which is very, very exciting indeed. Lots of speculation about what those films are going to be like. Lots of speculation about what the Avengers lineup is going to be for those, because there is no Avengers at the moment, not really, not as things stand. Uh, and what's going to happen in the and in, in the next two and a half to three years as well. Lots of speculation, also obviously, about who's going to direct those films. And on our preview podcast, uh, we threw a couple of names into the hat. One of the names I threw in was John Watts, because I thought that Marvel might want to keep a little bit of continuity with people who had done sterling work for them. Uh, and I was half right uh, because they have gone. Although it's, it's, it's not it's someone completely different. It's someone completely different, but someone who has worked for them and done sternly work with them. So I'm I'm half right. I mean, give me fifty percent, fifty percent, forty three, forty three percent. I'll take forty three percent. Can I have a passing grade? Can I have forty five percent? No. Fuck you, Helen. Honestly, <laughs> honestly, I'll take forty four. Forty four. I honestly, I'm close to giving you twelve percent. Just for the Marvel. I have 12% of a plan. 12% of a plan. Okay, that's good. Uh, all right, so, because the person that they have apparently chosen, although this is not officially confirmed by Marvel, to direct Avengers, the Kang Dynasty, uh, is Destin Daniel Cretton, director of Shang-Chi 
and The Legend of the Ten Rings. Now, this is interesting for a whole number of reasons. They haven't announced that he's directing Secret Wars as well, and I suspect that they will have two different directors, mm-hmm. I think, because that's, so that's going to be too big a job. The Russos managed it with Infinity War and Endgame, but those were a year apart. And I think, you know, it's yeah. going to be a lot. Also, I mean, look, I, I said it on, this, on the uh, Comic-Con podcast, but I'm reiterating it. I don't think these dates will stick. I really, really don't. That only really gives you about less than a year of phase six before, less, much less than a year of phase six before getting to this Kang Dynasty and only just over a year of phase six before getting to the second of these Avengers movies. So I feel like these dates will slip, which might give people a little bit more time to work. Uh, but look, he's he's a terrific director and I'm, I'm kind of intrigued to see what he does with this. And it's, you know, we could perhaps reasonably uh, take this as confirmation that Shang-Chi will be one of the Avengers in that lineup, uh, hopefully. Because it would be a bit weird I w- to I take would say, his director and leave him It'd be behind. quite rude. It'd be very it rude. Yeah. I would say also, and I meant to mention this on the uh, on the podcast, in fact, you can hear me begin to make this point and then I get distracted by a shiny thing and then I stop making it. Uh, but uh, Simu Liu uh, posted a picture of the Avengers logo. So he's, he was there in Hall H and he posted a, a picture of it and he went, you know, cannot believe where we're going with this essentially so that was I, I, I think a tacit confirmation that he'll he'll be in those movies whether or not it'll be the next time we see him because apparently Destin Daniel Cretton was at work on a Shang-Chi sequel whether that has now been sidelined temporarily to allow him to take on this quite frankly insane task of making an Avengers movie which are you know bigger than other movies um, more complicated than other movies and and have Shangeline um, nightmares built into them uh, remains to be seen but who knows it, although it mm-hmm. Simu Liu was also currently busy on his own multiverse film as well as he has just wrapped Barbie Barbie, Barbie. so yes. you know I He's do think boy. the Barbie dynasty that the MCU has had to wait for that and everyone I, I think that the dates of the two new Avengers films uh, you're right Helen they could shift based on what happens with Barbie, Barbie next Barbie, summer, yeah. because I think that could really realign a lot of the multiverses. <laughs> you know, I think, I, I, I think it's very nice of of Marvel to announce a multiverse saga to follow in Barbie's footsteps. I think <laughs> that's it. I think that's that's really brave. So, well, it's, uh, it's we're so brave. Quite a lot of that movie. More power to you. Yeah. yeah, we are. I mean, yeah, you know, everyone's so. running scared right. from Barbie. Apparently, uh, Simu is going to be playing another Ken. In he that is. Film. Yeah, he is. Yeah. As is. Sex Education and Doctor Who star Chuti Gatwa as well. It's exciting, isn't it? Lots it of is. Kens, lots of Barbies, Barbie's. Issa Rae as well. Yeah. Yeah. Harry Neff is a Barbie. Yeah. yeah. I'm excited about the movie. It's going to redefine I'm so everything. Excited. It's going to be re- redefine it's everything. It's going to be amazing. Yeah, it's going to be huge. I liked uh, when uh, Ryan Gosling was talking about his Ken, saying that his uh, that his Ken has no money. No job, no home, no everything. And then he felt the need to add in another interview that that wasn't the story of the film. It was just facts about Ken that people should know about, you know, just to to sympathise a bit more with the character. This because is... whoever really did sympathise with Ken? Who played with Ken, you know? No. Who ever thought about Ken? I didn't. I never had a Barbie or a Ken. I exactly. had I had lots of Action Force and He-Man and Star Wars figures. Cool. But uh, I'm, I'm a cool guy. <laughs> I'm a cool guy. I know I'm cool. It's, I had inflatable Barbie furniture. Really? That's why you're obsessed with popping the bars <laughs> of the, of the person. I've been waiting like 15 years for this. I didn't know that was a thing. Wow. I mean, ask my mom. I don't yeah. know where. Did this... you play with Ken? 
no, no, I was too busy like looking at my inflatable Barbie furniture. I had, I had to, you know, reinflate it every. I was too busy doing that. No time for Ken. I was a Cindy house, not a Barbie house. Oh, so. Cindy, yeah. my sister had a lot of Cindys. Yeah. Remind yeah. me. So is Cindy smaller? No, that's Cindy Polly. Was, Cindy was just slightly more human in her in her, you know, vital statistics. Be kind to Barbie. Look, I'm, it's no no diss on Barbie, but like if Barbie were a human, she would be seven and a half feet tall. With like a you know, 30, which famously Margot Robbie is with thirty-two like K boobs, like it's not a terribly common, you know, figure. And that's why Chris, I love her. Chris, come back to us, Chris, <laughs> Chris. Sorry, I fainted there for a second. I, I, Margot Robbie is real. I've 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 seen her in real life. Anyway, but that's Daniel Creden. He's also real. I've Fantastic. seen Destin Daniel there Cretton. There you go. He's Although I've never met him, so he could be a digital construct for all we know. He is very handsome. He could be just another one from Barbie Fit World. director? I think so. Is he another kid? He's a fit director anyway. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So Ella, the way that you uh, so artfully changed subject there from the MCU to Barbie and nothing really wrong with sorry. that. Uh, you know, we're all friends here, you know, but this is obviously an MCU friendly zone. Uh, where, where do you stand on the Hollywood powerhouse? Oh no, I don't want everyone to no, hate no, me. No, 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 no. Okay, it's totally fine. I, I know I can't be neutral, mm-hmm. but I. No. Okay, that's good. I'd like to be as neutral as I can. There are there are certain MCU uh, shows and films that I've enjoyed very much. Mm-hmm. There there are some that I haven't seen for many reasons and don't necessarily plan on seeing them. So, so it's not an appointment for you. It's not like you know, me and Hanlon where we're queuing up to see these things three four hours before no. they open. I, Disney I go, see, you've got assigned seats, you idiots. <laughs> I do enjoy seeing most of them. And I will say, I I quite enjoy that when it comes to work as a film critic and podcaster, uh-huh. I don't tend to cover Marvel projects for work. Uh-huh. Many because people don't ask me to, but I quite like that I mostly just go and see them on a Saturday morning, okay. like pay as much money as I can um, to All just right. have a nice time. Like seeing, I think I saw um, Endgame in the Empire Cinema in Walthamstow on Saturday morning. And everyone was just yelling and it was lovely and I had a great time. I didn't have to think about it in a work capacity. That was great. Right. Um, okay. I loved WandaVision. Right. I, 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 I'm staying open. Just um, just take your headphones off for a second. Just take your headphones off for a second. Helen, um, mm-hmm. so I think she can stay. I mean, I guess. All right, fine. Yeah, yeah. okay. Well, we can get her back. If you like WandaVision at least, that's a start. Yeah, and Endgame. Well. There's, there's hope. There's hope. We can we can train her. <laughs> what do I need to do? Oh hey, hello. How's it going? Hello. Uh, hey, hey. Hi, I'm still here. Hey, how's it going? Uh, right. So, anything else to talk about in terms of movie news? Yes, quite a few little bits and pieces. So there were also trailers released. Uh, some after Comic Con, some at Comic Con. But uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio trailer is up, uh, and it looks adorable. I'm mm-hmm. very excited about that. We also have uh, a new trailer for Tar, which is Kate Blanchett's new yes. film with Todd Field. Yes. Um, that doesn't give much away. Great trailer, though. Great yeah. trailer. Very weird and untrailery. Yeah. There's also a very exciting teaser trailer for John Wick 4. Oh. Super here for it. Couldn't be happier. My God. I am so excited for this film. Yeah. This is insane. There is a moment in this trailer where Keanu Reeves as John Wick Chapter 4, I believe that's the character's full name, I believe so. uh, and Donnie Yen, the great Donnie Yen, oh. have a fight and run towards each other firing guns at each other at point-blank range. Sweet. It just, and it literally seems like so <laughs> beautiful. They're shot by Dan Laustsen, who is Guillermo del Toro's, you know, most recent long-time DP. And that guy, oh my God, these films look so amazing. 
Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <sighs> anyway, John Wick's coming back. It's wonderful. Um, also trailers for Don't Worry Darling, which is oh, nice. uh, Florence Pugh that and looks Harry Styles. Great. Super great trailer. Really exciting new trailer. And speaking of super great trailers, I'm really loving that were cut specially for me and designed just for my interests. Dungeons and Dragons. Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, uh, <laughs> Honor among joke, thieves. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, really, though. That was it's just adorable. a joke, but it turned out to be real. Okay. It's turned out to be real. I'm sorry to disappoint. <laughs> does look good, doesn't it? I'm, it does I'm, look listen. Really, who, who had good Dungeons & Dragons movie on their 2022 20, or 23? The second that the card. geniuses behind Game Night stepped aboard. I know. Uh, yeah, Goldstein and Daly. Uh, yeah, so I'm I'm all for it. So it's Chris Pine. It's Hugh Grant. Who else is in the film? It's, it's good people. Uh, yeah, Michelle Rodriguez is in there. It's Justice Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, it's... Regis Jean Page in Armour. I mean, hello. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think people are going to enjoy this, and I certainly am going to enjoy it because it has dragons in it and hot men being sarcastic. I'm not so fussed about the dungeons. Interesting. It's the dragons I I really Mm, get out of bed for. May even have a scene set in a tree. It's Fingers crossed. Maybe. Entirely, hey, what the Robin Hood? Robin Hood's got lots of scenes in trees, right? Like Do Errol they just Flynn, walk under them? He's always in trees. Yeah. Yeah. Around the trees. Most of the time they're not Yeah, in like the Robin Hood films recently, they're not always in the tree for the best bits though. Like he flirts with Maid Marion in a tree in Robin Hood Prince of Thieves. But there's not much fighting in trees, mm. which is kind of what you want. No, hang on. Why does that need to be... Okay, I get it. This is why you dismiss Twilight, because there's no fighting. It's just love. No. I, I mentioned hmm. my neighbor Totoro. You did. No Not fighting. That famous, the famously action packed <laughs> movie. Uh, all right. Okay. So, a uh, couple of last little bits and pieces. The Grey Man is now out on Netflix. And yes, we're going to be doing a spoiler special for that with Joe and Anthony Russo. Uh, so, spoiler special subscribers, you are in like fucking pigs and shit right now. This is incredible. You've got great stuff coming your way every single week. Um, and we'll be doing She Hulk soon. And we'll be doing Andor. And. Looks like we're doing that Lord, Lord of the Rings show as well, Yay. and looks like we're doing that Sandman Dragony show as well, and looks Sand. How's the dragon? Woo! <laughs> and looks like these, looks like these will not all be week by week. It will be an up at dawn pride swallowing siege that I will never fully tell you about. Uh, but yeah, very very exciting stuff. Uh, but the Grey Man is out on Netflix right now. It's it's a ton of fun, although it's been getting a little bit of a kicking, which we'll discuss on the uh, on the spoiler special. It's like way more entertaining than the last Bond film. I don't know what to tell you. Anyway, but uh, it has already had a sequel and a spin-off announced very early stages, as as people will know if they read the cover feature I wrote on The Grey Man a couple of months ago for Empire, that uh, the Russo brothers and Netflix were very confident of success and had already started developing a Grey Man 2. There's a whole series of books by Mark Greeny. Uh, to draw inspiration from, and that would involve obviously Ryan Gosling returning, and there might be spin-offs for Anna de Armas' character, or for Chris Evans, Lloyd Hansen, who is a tremendously fun bad guy. So who knows? We we shall maybe see those in the next ooh, two to three years, three to four years maybe. Two to three, if they get a wiggle on, I think that'll, that'll be okay. Uh, Taron Egerton. Some Taron Egerton news. He has not been cast as Wolverine, but he has been cast as the hero in a new film from Jaume Colazera, who, of course, teamed up with Liam Neeson and all those ordinary man is in a horrible situation on a mode of transport films from a few years ago. So he was the director on Nonstop, in which Liam Neeson had to 
stop something on a plane. He was then the director of the commuter in which Liam Neeson had to stop something on a train. And now uh, there's no Liam Neeson in Carry On, which is not related to the Carry On movies. Oh. This is not a reboot, sadly. Oh, you know, Taron Egerton going, you know, yeah, that would be quite hard for Taron Egerton, <laughs> wouldn't it? Ooh, <laughs> I'll say. Uh, and uh, uh, instead, he's going to play a TSA agent in the States who is blackmailed by someone to allow a nefarious type to allow them to smuggle something terrible, a bomb probably, uh, onto a plane on Christmas Day. And will he be able to, you know, blow the whistle without blowing anything else? I think that's the uh, oh. that's the thriller. That's the thriller setup right there. And it should be good. I guess. I hope. Yep. Mm -hmm. I'm just thinking Sarah. about that choice of words still. Yeah. So many, it's a carry so on. It's a carry on. You gotta, you gotta choose your words. That's you know. what it is. Yeah. When it's, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's, it's hard for me, but eventually I got the grips with it. There it so, is. Rounding off the movie news section, we do have some very, very sad news. We lost three greats of acting this week. Just this morning, before we recorded the podcast, we uh, came to news that the great Bernard Cribbins had died at the age of 93, a, a national treasure over here in the UK, an absolutely bloody great big British institution of a man generally know what I say for his TV work, most recently things like Doctor Who, but just this really warm, funkular presence. He popped up in children's TV shows an awful lot and was someone who was certainly a pillar of my childhood. I don't know about, mm -hmm. about yours as well. I remember him in The Railway Children. I remember the Railway Children. Jack and Nori mm -hmm. uh, uh, with Fluella Benjamin on TV. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, he's he's been around forever. I mean, he worked with Hitchcock and people, you know, he's Yeah, he's, he's been, a frenzy. Yeah, he's he's uh, he's been working in acting for I think it was about eighty years, mm -hmm. which is an astonishing, astonishing career. Yeah, and he was ninety three years old when he passed, and uh, that's very, very sad indeed. Uh, we also lost this week, having lost Ray Liotta recently. We have lost another member of the the Goodfellas Four, um, the the four characters who are on some versions of the Goodfellas poster. So we lost Paul Serfino, the great Paul Serfino, who plays Paulie in that movie. And he was just a, a wonderful actor over the years. But he's he's brilliant in that movie. You know, he's he's cuddly, likable, but with a real undercurrent of menace, which which comes to very, very handy towards the, the end of that as well. And of course, famously, he is the father of, of Mira Serfino and uh, one of the in fact, the, the clip I was going around most this week after he passed away was his reaction to her winning the Oscar yeah. when she won the Oscar for Mighty Aphrodite years ago and she thanked him for making her the actress that she was and he just blubs. He just, uh, you could just see he's just composed 100% of pride <laughs> at that moment it's and it's just, it's, yeah. it's so lovely. I think I think that just tells you a lot about the man. I think that's that comes across in his in his screen performances even as a tough guy. He he often played characters with a big heart underneath, and uh, yeah, he was just a fantastic screen presence. Yeah, very much so. He was 83, 83 years old, and we also lost this week at the age of 80. We lost the great David Warner, who again just a, a huge a huge actor for me growing up, a huge actor for me all the way through my life. Just a wonderful, wonderful character actor. We talked the other week whenever um, Jimmy Khan passed away that he was the subject that James Caan was one of the subject of one of the greatest death scenes in the history of cinema when Sonny gets killed in The Godfather and but I mentioned The Omen mm -hmm. in that moment as well I mentioned the the scene in The Omen where David Warner's photographer gets his head 
sliced off by a flying pane of glass and his uh, and the director Dick Donner was so taken with it that he basically replays that one thing from about 12 different angles like it's the winner in the World Cup final uh, and he is so he was so great he was a huge presence in movies like that and Morgan a suitable case for treatment and straw dogs and uh, and Star Titanic Trek. and Titanic, he was in yeah. Star Trek and he was in Titanic and uh, and he was in Tron and he ha- he was this wonderful unruffled British actor who brought this kind of veneer of dependability to everything he did whether he was playing a good guy or a bad guy whether he had a lead or a supporting car- a supporting part he was just you knew what you were getting with David Warner I think he's great as the bad guy in a film that probably only I've, ever, I've seen in this room called Waxwork which is a really schlocky horror film from the 80s but he gives it this, again this veneer of respectability and he had such a man with two brains man he's really funny brains. in that as yeah. well and uh, and whenever he died uh, this week, I watched the episode of Inside Number Nine that he made with Reese Shearsmith and Steve Pemberton. I rewatched that, in which he is very very funny. Uh, it's from series two, so go and check that out. It's the trial of Elizabeth Gadge, and everyone I know who has worked with him just says he was the loveliest, loveliest guy. But uh, he really pops for me in The Omen, in particular, which is one of my favorite films of all time. So. Very, very sad indeed to lose Bernard Cribbins, Paul Serfino, and David Warner in the one week. They will be missed. All right, time now for the second and final guest this week, and I guess is going to be Bob Whitey. Seems uh, like. Robert B. Whitey, uh, who a lot of people will know as a director of some of the greatest episodes of Curb Your Enthusiasm, that meme that goes around. In fact, we talk about this in the interview. The the meme that's gone around where you know people will put the Curb music on real life footage of someone going through something very unfortunate and then it'll cut to the curb credits and it usually says directed by Robert B. Whitey <laughs> which for my money makes him one of the most famous directors on the planet we talk about that in this interview but uh, he is not just a director of curb he's not just a director of comedy films and comedy TV he's also a documentarian he, that's basically how he started his career with a documentary about the Marx Brothers uh, he has also directed documentaries over the years on the on some of his heroes including Woody Allen and now a documentary by Kurt Vonnegut the great American novelist, the author of books like Cat's Cradle and Slaughterhouse Five and Time Quake. And the story of how this movie came about is tremendous. So basically, uh, Bob Whitey, when he was quite young in 1982, having just made the Marx Brothers documentary, he was just 22 years old. He thought, you know what, I want to make a documentary about Kurt Vonnegut. And so he writes to Kurt Vonnegut saying, can I make a documentary about you? Uh, unexpectedly, Kurt Vonnegut wrote back a few weeks later saying, yeah, sure, why not? And so Bob Whitey flew out, became lifelong friends with Kurt Vonnegut, like lifelong friends, uh, but never really got round to making a documentary. Not properly, not really. Not until after Kurt Vonnegut had died, at which point the documentary changed and transmuted into something very, very different, which is a very, very personal story of both Vonnegut as an author and what made him tick, but also this friendship between Whitey and Fonagut, and it gets very, very personal, profound, and moving at times. I think it's terrific. The documentary it's out right now, uh, but hey, Bob takes care of that as well. He takes care of all the plugging in this interview as well. I spoke to him this morning. Uh, it's his first time on the on the pod for about eight years, but we slipped right back into it. So here we go. Me talking to Bob Whitey. Do please enjoy. 
We are delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by the co-director and star of the cracking documentary, Kurt Vonnegut, Unstuck in Time, Robert B. Whitey, uh, a.k.a. Bob Whitey. How are you, sir? I'm doing pretty good. And uh, just so your listeners understand my devotion to you and your magazine and this show, it is a little bit after 12 midnight here, <laughs> and I'm pretending that I'm wide awake. <laughs> we have a bit of a time difference. Between us, but, a little bit of a time uh, difference. It's it's currently six minutes past eight in the morning. So I don't know which way's up, Bob. But what about you? Are you are you, you okay? Are you a night owl, or are you uh, are you struggling right now? I, I used to be. I used to. It used to be no big deal for me to be up till you know three in the morning. And now I'm uh, quite elderly, and um, you know, things change. Now I'm one of those guys who has dinner at six o'clock. You know, and. Uh, <laughs> I'm in bed. Uh, no, but uh, it, it, staying up uh, was fine. I'm usually up at this hour, but that usually means, you know, sitting on the couch and watching a movie. So uh, Okay. Okay. Wait, when do you work? What's your what's your working day like? What are your working hours like? Well, these days it's very very scattered. Not to get into this note right off the bat, but having seen the film, you know that my my wife is ill and she needs quite a bit of looking after. So that's really my job now and um now and again, I get uh, a little bit of time to spend writing or, you know, working on things and developing things and all that. But the, the hours are scattershot. There's no, like, work hours for me. It's whenever I can grab them. So, As you say there, your your wife, Linda, is, is ill at the moment. And that is something that is revealed in the documentary. And I, I have to say, I was so taken by uh, Unstuck in Time. I thought it was absolutely terrific. Uh, and... I did not expect to be moved by it, and I was. I was profoundly moved by it. And a large part of that comes from the way that you intertwine your story with Kurt Vonnegut's story as well. And now, obviously, that wasn't where you began the documentary when you first wrote to him back in 1982. This would have been just a conventional documentary for you had that, had that worked out. Sure. I never imagined that I would be in the film. As a matter of fact, it's funny because... When I shot with him, I usually had like a still photographer just taking pictures and they were really for my own enjoyment, just so I'd have them something to document, you know, the, the filming. And it was a good thing I did because those photos wind up, you know, playing a role in the film once this meta element entered in, which was about the uh, sort of the, the um, evolution of this relationship, this friendship that I had with Vonnegut over the course of making the film and the struggle to make the film. And um, so those photos came into play in a way I never would have expected. But no, this this started off as a very, what would have been a very conventional sort of author documentary, the kind of thing that you might see on American Masters, uh, on you know public television in the States, just you know, sort of a straightforward biography. Uh, I, I never thought that I would be on camera at all, and I was very reticent, even when other people were suggesting that was the way to to tell this story, just to sort of encapsulate quickly for your listeners is, yes, I approached him in 1982 with a letter that said, if you give me your authorization, I think I could have a finished film within a year or so. <laughs> uh, 39 years later, the film finally uh, um, escaped from my, uh, from my editing system. And um, so... Over that time, we became very good friends. Now, he was he was an author that I idolized in high school and, and college the way, well, I'll use American examples, the way young American people might, you know, idolize uh, Jack Kerouac or J.D. Solinger or something like that. 
Vonnegut was my literary hero. And I wrote him this letter out of the blue in 82. I just made my first film on the Marx Brothers. And I wrote to him and I said, you don't know me, but I made this film on the Marx Brothers because I'm a big fan of theirs. I'm a fan of yours. I'd like to make a film on you. And he wrote back and he, he it just so happened he had seen my Marx Brothers film and he liked it a lot. So he said, sure, you know, I don't know how you make a film about an author, but you're welcome to try. And so that was in 1982. Um, and... So I started shooting, it was six years later before I started shooting, it was 88. And um, over the course of making the film, we just became very close friends. And then he died, oh, spoiler alert. Um, he <laughs> dies He dies in 2007. And I was struggling with the film sort of the entire time. I really didn't know how to finish this thing. And it was never really fully financed. It was really out of my own pocket. Hmm. So I didn't know, I couldn't find my way forward or didn't know. I know I wanted to finish it, but I didn't know how. Then other people said, well, you know, the story of you becoming friends with your literary idol during the making of this film and the struggle to make it over all these decades, that story should be woven into the biography. I was very, very reluctant, but ultimately agreed that was that was the only way to dig myself out of this hole. So <laughs> here we are with this. It's, it's primarily a, a, a biography of Vonnegut, but it also has this meta element of me on camera. Sorry, folks, although you lucky ladies out there, um, you know, <laughs> telling the story about our friendship and my attempt to make this film over 39 years. Yeah, it's, it is absolutely beautiful. And also, we get to see you through the years, Bob, as well. We get to see, we see, we get to see Kurt age uh, over the decades. We get to see you age. And you, you barely change. Your facial hair changes a little bit, but that's that's pretty much it. What's your secret? Well, what, what else are you going to say? <laughs> also, I've got about 20 filters on our uh, little uh, Zoom uh, uh, conversation right now. No, I, I, you know, I used to joke about the film taking so long. I used to tell friends of mine, I said, yeah, you actually see him on you actually see him age on film. I said, I'm aging too, but I'm off camera, so you don't see it. But I think I made my first on-camera appearance for this film in 2014, finished it in 2021. So you actually do get to see me age <laughs> on camera now, if that's your idea of a good time. <laughs> uh, as Grisha uh, would say. Indeed. And uh, this documentary, of course, is the, the ultimate uh, refutation of the old adage, never meet your heroes. And, uh, you know, I've been lucky enough over the years to, to have met some of my heroes uh, as well in the course sure of this job. Have, yeah. I haven't spent the extended amount of time with any of them as you did with, with Kurt Vonnegut. And I just want to know, what was the icebreaker for you? Because there's always a period when you're when you're meeting someone for the first time it can be a little stilted a little tentative but you got a lifelong well, friendship out of this you know his his mentality his mo was not a showbiz mo at all he wasn't full of himself he he didn't take his celebrity seriously he was a he was a guy from indiana uh people from indiana are called hoosiers here in the states and he was just this big friendly hoosier who went didn't go out of his way but it was his natural inclination when we first met make me feel at ease and I, I i once we became friends i saw him do that with other fans who would come up to him on the street and be very nervous mr vonnegut i don't want to disturb you but i have to tell you i'm a huge fan and your books have changed my life and i just wanted to say thank you and he would he would engage them he, he would ask their name he would ask where they're from or, or do you live in new york you're just visiting or what do you do for a living and he would keep them talking for a few minutes he was genuinely interested in people so when i first went to his apartment that's what we call a flat 
Um, actually, it wasn't an apartment. I should say it was actually a townhouse, which is where rich people live in New York City. Uh, they, have, they have their own homes. Um, but uh, no, he was just very friendly. And but I was nervous that first time. I was quite quite nervous. And as I say, by the time we started filming in '88, you know, we had met up a number of times, spent a lot of phone time, a lot of FaceTime. But you know, the the big icebreaker to answer your question was our mutual love of old comedy, film comedy, stand up comedians, in his case, radio comedy. Um, you know, I that first phone conversation, he invited me to call him, which I did. That first phone conversation, I started to go into that dopey speech about, you know, how much your books have meant to me. And he cut me off in mid sentence. And he said, that scene in your film where Harpo was punching Margaret Dumont in the stomach made me laugh so hard. He just he just cut me off to talk about the March Brothers. So I said, <laughs> all right, he doesn't want the compliments. He he wants to talk about the March Brothers. So and, and always for the remainder of uh, his time on Earth, our conversations were filled with reminiscing about old comedy films and and bits. He used to love this bit. There was a, a radio comedian. He, he was a vaudeville comedian. Uh, was on TV and you know was in, in movies and but uh, very popular. His name was Ed Wynn. and he used to love this Ed Wynn bit where Ed Wynn played this character called uh, I think the old fire chief. Mm. And it was just like a one sided telephone conversation. The fire chief picks up the phone and he says, um, fire station. What's that you say, ma'am? You say your house is on fire? Mm-hmm. Well, have you tried putting water on it? Uh-huh. Well, I'm sorry, that's all we could do. Goodbye. And he hangs up the phone. And Vonnegut, you know, that's the kind of thing that would make him laugh for 10 minutes. Yeah. And he loved corny old jokes and puns. And uh, so people ask me what I most remember about him. And literally what I most remember about my time spent with him were the laughs. We did a lot of laughing and he was just that was that kind of a person he had a great sense of humor both as somebody who perpetu perpetuated humor and somebody who appreciated humor so we got along great you know there's no baggage did you ever get a glimpse of him when he was writing did you ever were you ever in the room when he was writing or was that very much sacrosanct no no i think he, he kind of kept writing hours and he was he was a morning writer you know he'd like write in his bathrobe with a cup and slippers with a cup of coffee and by the time i'd see him it was it'd be lunchtime although i did spend a week with him in his country places like weekend summer place on long island you know by the by the shore hmm. and um but that was not a writing week for him that was his little he, he certainly wrote in sagaponic but that was a getaway week for him hmm. and his wife was in the city and he just i happened to be in new york city at the time i live in la but he called me up and he said, hey, I'm going to be out in the country for the week. Do you want to come and join me? And I said, yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and I did. It was, it was, it was, it was great. And, and by the way, combining two of my heroes, we had this conversation. Was, this was in the days of you know, video rental stores. Yeah. And he just said to me out of the blue, he said, uh, what, what do you think is the best Marx Brothers film? I said, the, the best one? Well, to me, you know, sort of the... the my favorite Marx Brothers film was maybe Duck Soup. And he called the video store and he said, do you have a copy of the Marx Brothers Duck Soup? I said, yeah, I'll put it on hold. We'll be there in a few minutes. We got in the car. We went to the video place. We got Duck Soup. We brought it back. We watched it together. And as, as much as I'd just become acclimated to the idea that, you know, he was my friend, there were those moments. And that was one of them where I thought, 
I'm in Kurt Vonnegut's country house, hanging out with him for the week, and we are watching a Marx Brothers film on TV together. How did this happen? <laughs> how, did, how did, what turn did my life take that it would lead to this? Yeah, yeah. Meet your heroes. Never mind, never meet your heroes. Meet your heroes, because this might happen. Well, some of them may be real twats, as you say out there, but- uh, We do, yeah. You know, and, and thank you for the been, correct pronunciation as well, Bob, because Americans yeah. tend to say twat, and I don't you like that. Twat. Yeah. yeah, no, I've spent enough time out there with that. I have lots of expression like expressions like tits up and you know I, I always have to sort of re sort of recondition myself when I come back and start calling lifts elevators again yeah. bins waste baskets and all that but you know we'll sidewalks pavements class. yeah whole, exactly yeah. sidewalks and pavement absolutely um, but uh, no in this case uh, yeah meeting him was everything you want him to be in I you know I I never imagined. I thought, you know, maybe we'd meet and I'd get an autograph. We'd have a little bit of a chat or something, but becoming, you know, as close friends as we did. And I still, you know, I, 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 once the decision was made to bring in this meta element where I'd be on camera sort of telling a story, that's when I brought in Don Argett, who's a wonderful documentary filmmaker, mm -hmm. because I said, I can't, I can't be filming myself. I can't be interviewing myself or following myself around with a little crew while I take the film to the, place to do the digital transfers or whatever so let's bring in another director and don was terrific and he was a vonnegut fan so um you know he came in and, and covered that element of it and um but we would i was still reluctant to be on camera and our big debate in the editing room is he'd work on a cut and he and his editor demian fenton a terrific editor and i'd look at their cut and i'd say there's too much of me you you've got to pull me out and he'd say, no, no, it needs more of you. And I'd say, no, it needs less of me. And that was always the big debate. And finally, at the end of the day, I, I think we struck the right balance. Now, there are the occasional critic that will say, why is Whitey in the film? Or there's too much of him or whatever. But but I, I look at the finished film and I'm quite happy with where we landed. And when people talk about the emotional resonance of the film mm. and how, you know, uh, sort of dumbstruck they were at the end or how... You know, people tell me that they cried through the film, or people tell me how many times they cried. They cried five times. I say, what? Only, only five? Come on. <laughs> um, I think that has a lot to do with the personal element. It does. That's that's brought in. I don't think it would have that kind of emotional resonance if it weren't a first person telling of the story. But that's that's something you uh, you know again we touched on this a little bit, but that that's something you must have wrestled with. And there, there's you know in terms of not just inserting yourself in, in into the film into the story. But about how much you reveal about Linda's sure. illness, about about sure. where you are right now, and that was the big debate. And then, yes, my wife was diagnosed in 2018, and it's not thrown in just gratuitously. It really plays in thematically to sort of the gifts Vonnegut left me with, left us with, because he adored my wife. And by the way, as we learned from the film, it was Vonnegut who encouraged me to marry my then girlfriend he she and i met in 94 kurt and i had already known each other for a number of years and he loved her and he would always say when are you going to marry this girl and uh, as i say in the film you know because linda was a few years older than than me than i i said uh well you know marrying her probably means not having kids so i, I don't know and he thought about it for a while and then looked at me and said you don't need kids and i said oh okay then that's sorted and then it cuts to our, our wedding video. Uh, so he was a big part of our lives. And when she got ill, 
you know, one of the sort of survival tips we got came from him. So, yes, I never would have imagined that I'd be in the film, let alone that it would get this personal. But, uh, you know, it, it seems to work out okay. As, as far as storytelling goes. As far as, yeah, absolutely. The last time we spoke, I think, was for Mr. Sloan. So it was probably around 2014 when you came into our studio mm-hmm. in London. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and obviously you had, you had directed many, many episodes of Curb at that point. But, uh, something, something interesting has happened in the years since in that I would argue that you are one of the most famous directors on the planet because <laughs> of the yeah. Curb meme, which has really yes. exploded in the last few years. Uh, which always ends with directed by Robert B. Whitey as the title card. Yes. Now, I don't know if this is still the case. It was as of a few weeks ago. If you've got a mobile device with you right now, you could try this. Mm-hmm. If you Google the words directed by, the first, what are they called, you know, predictive text that will come up will be directed by Robert B. Whitey, not Martin Scorsese or Quentin Tarantino or, or Francois Truffaut or Alfred Hitchcock, but my name, I'm the most famous unknown I'm the most Googled director in the world. Did it come up? Did you it came check up. this now? It came up. Yeah. First one? First one, directed by Robert B. Whitey. You're ahead of directed yeah. by Quentin Tarantino. Then strangely directed by James Burroughs, uh, which is a more specific uh, book by James Burroughs, directed by David Lynch, directed by Michael Bay, directed by Steven Spielberg. There you go. Well, Number I one. I think that's only fitting. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yes, uh, yes, this meme, and, and it's very funny, you know, because somebody had set up a Facebook page for me. Uh, Robert B. Whitey and, and, uh, you know, and I, I'll, I'll post things and, and the page manager will post things about my career and what I'm working on projects. And I had like 200 followers, something very modest. Half of them knew me personally. The other half were just fans of some of my work. And then it just started to grow and grow and grow. I thought, what the hell is going on here? And then I discovered these memes and people were flocking to my page, expecting to see more of these memes with that, you know, curb theme song frolic. And, you know, I told them, sorry, you're in the wrong place, but it didn't matter. It kept growing. And now I've got like 211,000 followers. <laughs> so very confused followers wondering where the memes are. Uh, it's, you know, quite, quite. And then people send me photos where they, they have directed by Robert B. Whitey tattooed on them. And uh, what? It, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, COVID mass, you know, the, the mass, say, directed by Robert B. Whitey and Christmas ornaments. It's just, I wish I had a, not to mention, you know, t-shirts and hoodies and, and all that. I wish I had a piece of it financially, but. Oh my God. That is, that is crazy. wild. What do you do when, when, when that happens? When, when someone shows you a tattoo of your name, that must be. Uh, well, first of all, I warn them that they now cannot be buried in a Jewish cemetery. If, you know, <laughs> if, if that matters to them. Uh, but it usually doesn't. Uh, no, I find the whole thing odd. I think the tattoo thing is really weird. The other stuff I just find mildly amusing. Um, it doesn't annoy me, nor does it bring me any pleasure. I just kind of smile. Well, well okay, I, you know, I'm 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 famous and unknown at the same time. <laughs> and uh, what you said there about wanting uh, a piece of the financial pie from that, and you're absolutely right to, to want to do that, uh, leads me to one last question about how this documentary was funded over the, the course of of 40 years. How do you fund a documentary like this? It was really tough. You know, people ask me why it took so long. And, you know, they expect, you know, an answer about uh, emotionally, it was difficult for me to give it up, you know, 
or I thought uh, Kurt and I wouldn't still see each other. And then after he died, I, I wasn't, I couldn't face, you know, closing that chapter. Mm. No, it was all about the fact that I had no money to, to do it. <laughs> or if I had money, I didn't have time because I was working in other things. If I had time, I didn't have money. Every now and then I had some time and some money that I'd put back into it. Um, there was some very early money from American Masters, the, the public television series here in the States, although it, they ultimately didn't get the film. And then it was just out of my own pocket for years and years and years. And then when Don Argett joined me in, I think, 2014, we set up a Kickstarter um, page campaign, which did very well. And that gave us enough money to sort of finish our cut, not to pay all the bills, but to editorially, you know, sort of locked the film. And then we took it around to try to sell it. And thank goodness it was it was uh, picked up by IFC Films here in the States, a very prestigious um, distributor of independent films. And, um, and now it's showing all over, I should say, uh, in England, the distributor's Altitude, uh, which is a very nice company. And I know right now the film is in cinemas in England, but also if you, you know, first of all, you should go to the cinema because most of them are air conditioned, right? Mm -hmm, indeed. And um, other, otherwise you can catch it on, uh, I, I think they have their own streaming platform, which is altitude.film. They do. So They do indeed. Wow. Bob, it's been uh, an absolute pleasure, but it is ticking on half past midnight. I'm going to let you get to sleep, sir. It's always great to talk to you. And whenever we get together, I, I wish that I was more prolific instead of doing something every 10 years. I, I think maybe I have to do it every five years just as an excuse for you and I to catch up. You got to meet another hero. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, who's, who's oh, left? Yeah. Who's left? Oh, for me? Yeah. Yeah, I've met the key ones. I'd like to, I don't know, I'd like to meet Paul McCartney. I was going to say, do you have a musical hero? Um, yeah. Yeah, I met, I met Ringo. I did, by the way, I spent, you know, Joni Mitchell is sort of being talked about now because she just appeared at a, um, a folk festival in Newport, you know, the Newport Folk Festival. And she's, you know, you have this brain aneurysm and people thought, A, that she wouldn't survive. And if she did, she would never sing again. She said she would never sing again. And um, there she was. Brandy Carlisle has, like, brought her back to life. And there she was singing these songs. And there wasn't a dry eye in the house. Mm -hmm. And um, it reminded me that I, I and I loved her, loving Joni Mitchell. I spent three hours with her once when I was on a break from the curb set. I went to get Starbucks coffee and she was there and I wound up sitting and chatting with her for three hours and I was late coming back to set and Larry was furious. But uh, <laughs> anyway, I got to log three hours with Joni Mitchell. So Listen, that's a hell of an excuse. It's like, it's almost, yeah, where the hell not, were you, Whitey? Not to him. He was furious. I wasn't even directing that episode, but I, you know, I was always on set. Where were you? I said, I, I, I just... I ran into Joni Mitchell and we were talking and she kept talking. So I wasn't going to get, what kind of an excuse is that? And I said, well, what if you had met a hero like, you know, Mickey Mantle or something? He's an American <laughs> baseball player. So Joni Mitchell is not Mickey Mantle. I said, you know what? I'm done talking to you. <laughs> See right there. That even sounds like a Curb episode. That sounds like something, you know, Larry goes somewhere. He beats someone for, you know, and he talks him for three hours and he's late and all sorts of shit happens. That's yeah, a, that's a yeah, Curb episode. It's a fine line between real Larry and TV Larry. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, Bob, it's always a pleasure. And uh, yeah, let's not leave it uh, as long next time before we, we chat. Well, now I'm too awake to go to sleep. So let's, let's go on for another hour. No, okay. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Truly, always a pleasure. Amazing. Cheers, Bob. Thanks very much indeed.
Okay, so that was Bob Whitey and that documentary, Kurt Vonnegut, Unstuck in Time, is out right now. It's in cinemas, but you can also download it to rent or buy on the Altitude website. But it's time now for the reviews portion of the show, in which we'll talk about the other films that you can see either on the Silverplex or in the Multiplex this week. And we're going to start with the film that's out in cinemas right now, but we'll be hitting Prime Video next Friday. And it's Ron Howard's new film, 13 Lives. Ron Howard, of course, was last week's guest. Helen, this is about the Thai cave diving near disaster mm. and, uh, and rescue that happened in 2018. Yes, correct. So basically 12 uh, young boys and their, their football coach went for a, a jolly uh, in some caves so, to have a look around and got uh, hemmed in by, uh, by floods. And we're in there for over a week because it was incredibly difficult to get into the caves in the first place with the with the waters as high as they were, and then to figure out a way to get these young boys back out. Uh, so this is a, a fictionalized or light, very lightly fictionalized version of what happened. Viggo Mortensen and Colin Farrell play two of the British cave rescue divers, Rick and John, respectively. But it's very much an ensemble piece. I think to Ron Howard's credit, he hasn't done what Hollywood always used to do with these stories, which is focus on the white dudes doing something heroic in this situation. Let you know, he's very much looking at the whole situation, very much looking at what did the what were the locals were doing and how important their actions were in saving the boys. And yes, also there are two movie stars there in the middle putting on Midlands accents and uh, and and doing a bunch Quite of... Quite good ones as well. Uh, yeah, very good ones. Yeah. I was very impressed. So I, so I like that about it. I like that it is an ensemble. I like that it gives you that kind of more rounded view and maybe uses their star, star power to, to kind of draw people in who wouldn't otherwise be interested in this. My big problem with this film is I've already seen The Rescue, which is the documentary about the same incident, and it is much better for my money. It is much, much better. That's made by the Free Solo team. And... I wasn't sure what this really added because I felt like uh, Mortensen and Farrell are just doing so much interesting work these days that there's so little here for them to do that even though they do it very, very well indeed, it felt like a bit of a, they were a bit overqualified. And I didn't know that this always got across as well as the documentary did, just how difficult it was. Because just as a matter of filmmaking, you have to be able to see in the water in the caves in this story, for the most part, you have to be able to see what's going on. And I think one of the big problems was they usually couldn't, that the border was very dark and muddy and churned up and everything else. So, you know, it actually almost makes it look slightly easier mm-hmm. than it was, even while getting across to quite a large degree, the difficulties involved. So I find it a little bit frustrating at times because of that. And yeah, I personally would go to the documentary first, which is already on Disney+. Plus. Having said that, you know, good performances all around. There's nothing wrong with this. I just wasn't sure that it added a huge amount to the discussion. It's interesting. I don't know how many people will have seen the documentary, and I think most people will gravitate towards this. Even so, I think most people will tend not to watch documentaries, and they'll tend to watch the big, splashy Hollywood film with the big, splashy Hollywood stars instead. So... I just, I, I, you know, whether the, the documentary is better or not, I just don't think, mm-hmm. I think most people will just plump for this anyway. And it's, uh, for, my, for my money, it was solid. I mean, it, we're not quite on the Apollo 13 level here, but it's, it's yeah. decent oh, stuff. No, I was, yeah, I was quite pleasantly surprised by this. I think I was a bit, I hadn't seen the documentary and I, I, I remember obviously hearing about the, the rescue, but I don't, I didn't remember a lot of the details and I was quite worried going into this that it would be very, a very white savior narrative 
I mean, because, because they that's were. what Hollywood does. Yeah, I mean, it's what, it's what Hollywood does. But there were also two white men involved in, you know, in in the saving. Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed that it was much less. Uh, the tone was much less uh, soaring and celebratory. And look at these absolutely incredible two men. I enjoyed that there was a bit less of that. But mm. then I did kind of feel that because of that, I felt like the film wrapped up quite quickly in quite. Like there wasn't much celebration, but about any of it, I think because you took away that adoration of these two white men, like the end of the film for me felt like it wasn't celebrating any of it, even though it was such a miracle that these boys got rescued at all. And it's a deliberately muted story. I think it's a deliberately yeah. muted treatment of it. And the mm. fact that it takes place in the monsoon as well, it means it's just bloody wet all the time. Yeah. It's yeah. wet inside, it's wet outside. And so therefore it's just, that could be a little bit it almost dampens the film. It yeah. dampens the sense that there's there's no glory here. No one's no one. Whenever the you know the spoiler alert, everyone gets out. You know, which is absolute miracle. Apart from one of the Thai cave divers, yeah, and, and someone else died later yeah. on a couple of years. But uh, but but all the boys get out, you know, which they thought was just never going to happen. Yeah. And once that happens, instead of the usual triumphant punch of the air, yeah, lots of brass on the on the orchestra, that just doesn't happen. The film just it's ends. a very muted thing. Um, which I, again, I, I liked it more than you guys, I think. But yeah, I, I did quite like me. it, and yeah. I was, I, I just, I just couldn't believe the accents. I know that, I know, <laughs> no, I know that shouldn't be the biggest part of the film. But when I, I also forgot they were in it. I just thought it was about. I thought, I thought the star power in this film was Ron Howard. So I was settling in for, you know, just, just a film about that. And then I saw their names. I was like, oh, what are they going to be doing? And then the accents. I was just like, oh. They're gonna like they're gonna drop the ball. It's gonna get worse. I'm gonna laugh. No, every single time I was like, oh my god, say another sentence. That, yeah. Not the point at all. But I was like, do another one. Now Go talk on. about do custard another creams. Trick. There's a I lot mean, of custard creams. Yeah, yeah, I was like, yeah. say I did, again. I love the custard creams chat. Look, I love I love them. I thought the performances were, yeah, were fantastic. really restrained as well. Yeah, very impressive work. But just I mean, like Colin Farrell's doing some of the best work out there right now, and I just felt like this was a. I did wonder why. I was like, why are you here? Why are you doing that? And, and look, I, I, there is stuff there for him to do. There's, I'm not saying there's nothing for him to do. It, he, he does it very well. There is nuance to this guy who's just so matter of fact about this impossible thing that he's doing. But there are still things that get to him. And I, and I loved the way they balanced that. I thought it was wonderfully done. But at the same time, it's like, it's no, it, you know, he's doing like all this crazy well, experimental so films, films out there right, right now, now that he's in all the time. All the time. And, yeah, this one for me was just one of his lesser efforts. It's, it's not that it's a bad film; it's just that it didn't sing to me in the way that I maybe wanted it to. Mm. I felt like I, if, I, I expected it to hopefully add something to my knowledge of the situation. I didn't feel like I got a huge amount of extra nuance from this that I hadn't had before. All right. Well, listen, I, I thought it was uh, actually quite good. I mean, it's it's in the same ballpark as we talked about last week with Ron Howard uh, as Apollo thirteen and, and Backdraft. I just like. Movies about smart people figuring shit out, and that's what this was. And also, when you when you read up in this story, I haven't seen the documentary. I will check it out. But when you read up in the story and you see in the film as well what they had to do to get these boys and the soccer coach out alive, it's mind boggling. Yeah, and it's quite incredible. And some of the sound design on those on the rescue scenes was extraordinary. Just yeah. like a tanks scraping across rock yeah. as they try and fit people yeah. through. Okay, speaking films. of sound design and the way that we watch films nowadays and because it's coming out on Prime not long afterwards, right? I will say as a personal recommendation, I I watched this film at home. I I wish I'd watched it in a cinema because again, this is the fault of my internet connection, but there were a couple of moments <laughs> 
where the film paused and I just thought, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. So don't take that risk, I would say, because there's a lot of tension in this film. So first of all, that, don't let yourself get any, any yeah. pauses like that if you're going to watch it on Prime. But also, I wish I'd had more of the sound design. And again, because you're in these caves for a lot of the time and it is very dark, and even if it's probably clearer than it actually was, it's still quite dark and murky. So yes. I think... It is. Having that immersion, if you can get to a cinema, could benefit this quite a bit. All right. Okay. And then three stars then for Ron Howard's 13 Lives. Next up, we have the return of Olivia Coleman in Joyride, which is a movie about a person called Joy who goes on a ride. Isn't that roughly what's happening in this movie, Ella? I mean, you're not too far off. There we yeah. go. Uh, we have, so we have Olivia Coleman, who is playing a, I want to say kind of a reluctant mother who has a newborn daughter, but we don't meet her first. We meet a young Irish boy called Mully, who steals a taxi because he's got all of his own family issues and he realises that Joy and her daughter are in the backseat of the car. And then what ensues is an unlikely road trip where everybody relearns the meaning of family and all of these nice things like that. It's not as it's not as saccharine as I'm making it sound, but it still just didn't quite hit the right notes for me. I think it was one of those films which tries to make everyone quite kooky and quite unusual and a bit dissatisfied with their lot and a bit spunky and a bit funny, but I th- and a bit spiky. And I think when you're trying to hit all of these uncomfortable notes it is quite a tough choreography to make sure they all work properly and it was just all a bit out of whack for me i think i didn't find the funny scenes funny enough i think the young boy who plays mully charlie reed who i mean he does (laughs) he does as well as you can try to do opposite olivia coleman but Hmm. i think there was just from all parties just a little bit too much shouting and a bit too much bristling while the whole film to me felt like it was made perhaps 10, 15 years ago when there were fewer uh, lovely, charming, uh, unconventional road trips. But now you just you just throw a squirrel and, and you'll hit a one of those movies. Yeah, and I'm just like, and, and again, like we were saying about Colin Farrell and Viggo Mortensen, I don't know why Olivia Coleman did this because I'm I'm all for Oscar winners doing like staying true to independent film and doing you know smaller stories and smaller films as we know she does amazing work with Yorgos Lanthimos but this it just didn't work for me I just it, which is a shame I, I can see on paper why you would fund it why you would go and see it and I think Olivia Coleman fans will find much to enjoy in this but I would skip probably film close to her house I'm saying that might be <laughs> that might be the main reason uh, okay we give this one three stars three stars then for Joyride if you are going to watch a film called Joyride this week I would recommend the 2001 Steve San Paul Walker Lili Sobieski thriller directed by John Dahl which is terrific also known as Roadkill if you're looking for that uh, three people piss off a trucker and pay for it uh, or do they <laughs> or do uh, they really really great film a uh, little B movie also a B movie this week <laughs> Uh, They're going to take our award back any second now. It is what's this called? DC's DC League of Super Pets. Yes, yeah. So look, it's a well established in the in the comic book canon that that Superman has a super dog whose name is Crypto. He's voiced here by The Rock. Superman is voiced by John Krasinski. 
and and crypto is having a bit of a crisis of confidence because Superman is getting closer to Lois Lane, and it's like, oh no, will there still be room for me if they're kissing all the time? Oh no. <laughs> um, and then and then there's uh, orange kryptonite comes into the picture, and I'm sure oh, as we all oh. know that orange kryptonite has the power to give animals superpowers. That's right. And just as crypto accidentally swallows some green kryptonite and gets depowered. I mean, in, in his defense, it is in a piece of cheese. We'd all make the same mistake. Another bunch of animals get powered up by the orange kryptonite, including an evil guinea pig voiced by Kate McKinnon. And the other goody animals are going to have to be trained by crypto, who is going to have to learn to let go and share. Um, we're, we're the heroes at this point? Order. They've all been kidnapped by the by the evil guinea pig. Huh. The evil guinea pig takes down, and I'm not kidding, the entire Justice League. I have a headache. Mm -hmm. Including Batman. Including Batman, who is voiced by Keanu Reeves. Squee! Really? Okay, I'm back. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay. <laughs> We're Five, all back on board. I am cured. <laughs> Five stars then for DC the League. What's it called? Uh, DC League of Super Pets. Look, I'll it is forget. it I'll is ridiculous, that. and I find it I find it incredibly by the numbers for its first two thirds in particular. You know, okay. it's like, oh look, there's a there's a character who's a bit too big for his boots, and he's going to have to learn the value of sharing and being a better whatever. Uh, so you know that was annoying, but. The Rock and Kevin Hart do have chemistry, even when mm -hmm. they're just doing voice roles. Yes, they so, do. And, and Kevin Hart voices the other dog who gets superpowers. There is a lot of charm here in the second half. It is a very good voice cast. Kate McKinnon as a guinea pig. I mean, who knew it was the role she was born to play? That's all good. I just find it so animated film by the numbers for the first two thirds that it couldn't get quite past it. And and arguably the action scene at the end goes on a little bit longer than maybe needs to. Okay. So so yeah, some good stuff, but but not it's no Lego movie, put it that way. Well we disagree with you. Clearly John Nugent, who is some sort of Lex Luthor esque well oh, coming with Luthor uh sort of super villain, he he's trying to take this film down. Well, I mean, I didn't it's getting exactly, too close to the truth. I didn't exactly give it a glowing review myself. I would not massively disagree with his two star review. Okay. Yeah, so he gave it two stars. Two stars then for DC League of Super Pets. There you go. Which is animated, in case that yeah. wasn't clear. Uh, and last but not least this week, we have uh, Fire of Love. I love this film oh, so we're ending much. on a high. This is good. This is a wonderful film. This is a documentary written and directed by a cultural anthropologist, Sarah Dosa. It is a documentary which tells the story of Maurice and Katja Kraft, who were a French couple who were very much in love and who were both volcanologists. And they dedicated their life to discovering volcanoes and learning about them to educate the world and warn people against natural disasters. And uh, they were, again, let me stress again, they were so in love. And they spent so much of their lives documenting what they did and what they discovered. They wrote uh, almost 20 books and they filmed everything basically in this amazing uh, 16 millimeter footage. So it's hundreds and hundreds of hours, which Sarah Dosa and her team watched through basically all of it. Uh, it's all silent. Uh, so that forms the backbone of this extremely beautiful film. Yeah, and we should be clear, the, docu the, the documentary has sound, but the, their footage yes, is silent. Yes, yes, yes. So the documentary filled made sound um, by enlisting uh, actor, performer, director, writer Miranda July to narrate the film. If you haven't heard her voice before, she has the most tender and strange and quite... She has a kind of ASMR quality to her voice, which I think works so well 
in this film and the, the 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 narration and script is again it's very romantic it's very wistful it's very existential and i think the film does a beautiful job of creating this relationship between the the natural world and all the things that maurice and katia fought and learned and cared about throughout their lives and again it just tells this really beautiful love story you know there's one line that stands out to me where miranda july says understanding is love's other name and i think that's applicable to all the different forms of love uh in maurice and catch's lives and it just comes together really beautifully it's very cute some some might say it's too cute uh you know it's very earnest it uh adores these people and there's not there's not there's no conflict i mean beyond you know the erupting volcanoes and the smoke and the lava and all of that there is very little conflict in this film which i think might turn some people off i liked the tone very much and obviously because uh sadly maurice and katya passed away uh witnessing one of these volcanoes there's a lot of unanswered questions and gaps that a documentary film team can only fill in so much but i think it's a really beautiful watch very alive very exciting very romantic lovely lovely film i did love i did love the footage i didn't always love the narration as much as you do Mm. i think but the footage is absolutely incredible i think especially if you work in in effect in vfx you should absolutely go see this the 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 just fluid dynamics of the lava and everything is incredible absolutely amazing it's absolutely gorgeous Mm. highly highly recommended four stars in for fire of love and on that note that is it for this week's empire podcast join us next week for more film-related fun, we'll be joined by... I can never remember. Oh, I don't know. I don't know exactly who it is. It is a Predator-related double bill. So we have Amber Midthunder, star of Prey. Very, very exciting. The brand new star of the brand new Predator movie. And we'll also be talking to, this is very exciting, the director of the original Predator movie and the original Die Hard and Die Hard with the Vengeance, and The Thomas Crown Affair, and The Hunt for Red October, and Last Action Hero, John Bloody McTiernan. Very, very exciting indeed. But anyway, until then, until we meet again, until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye from my two colleagues of such lethal cunning, Helen O'Hara. Totally. Goodbye, Helen. Bus parade just around the corner. Any day now. Just around the corner. <laughs> Uh, it's goodbye for the first time from the Emperor podcast but maybe not should we get her back Helen I don't know oh, what do you think from Ella Kemp bye thanks for having dame me dame Ella Kemp sorry sorry about that uh, <laughs> Emma sorry dame Emma Kemp uh, how was it fantastic yep yeah, very good Last, you've said all the right things this is very very good you can come back and especially bring some cookies and more cookies next time as well I'm off to demolish my lunch which is Literally a pile of sweets that I grabbed from the reception here at the podcast towers when I walked in. I haven't eaten today, but I'm pretty sure a double lolly, two packs of fizzers, a parma violets, a mini pack of love hearts and a cookie. That That's my five a day. That counts. That's my five a day. I'm pretty sorted. I am set. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. Bye.